Well, if that doesn't get you up and moving on a Tuesday morning, I don't know what will. So emotional, Whitney Houston. On this day in 1988, Whitney Houston went number one with this song. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Farwell, big deal. Whitney Houston had a ton, an absolute bucket full of number one songs. And you know what? You're absolutely right about that. But what makes this one a little more notable, so emotional, going to number one on this day in 1988, it was the sixth consecutive number one song for Whitney Houston on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. So how do you like that? Six straight number ones. And so emotional was the sixth in that list. Now, here's what I had planned out for you today. Because I like to start the show with a song that's got some noteworthiness in music history. So, so emotional goes number one on this day in 1988, the sixth straight for Whitney Houston. I have the other five, but I thought, like, we should play a guessing game with that, shouldn't we? Should I make you guess the other five songs that Whitney Houston took to number one consecutive? Maybe we, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do this much for you. You can give me the answer, or I'll give you the answer before 9.30. But if you'd like to take a stab at what were the other five songs prior to So Emotional that Whitney Houston took to number one, I'm all ears for you here on the show, as we are every day. Because when we get this started, we open the phone lines to you at 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Email always works as well. It is mike at 570news.com. And you'll find us on social media platforms. Facebook is facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. And of course, on Twitter or X or Instagram at Farwell underscore WR. Speaking of email, I got one from Norma. Last night, Norma is a regular and loyal listener for us here on the show. Love hearing from her. And she shared with me this via email last night to Mike at 570news.com. Hey there, Mike. As well as being a faithful listener of your show, I also watch CTV News Kitchener every evening at 6. Do you? Absolutely. In fact, I watch it at 5, too. That's how much I like my news in general, and specifically my local news on CTV. Uh, In case you didn't see it when it aired, Norma writes, they did a segment on the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium being used as Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto during the filming of the Boreas Salming story. It was very interesting. I thought you'd like to know about it since you know both the odd and hockey so well. Norma, you are spot on. I appreciate the email, and you noticing, of course, that, yes, indeed, the odd was used in the Boreas Alming story. Here's, here's my take on that, and, and I'm going to be a little bit nerdy here. I'm going to bring you inside the radio slash news game, because, you see, and it really doesn't matter anymore. Like, I've kind of gotten over this in my career, but not entirely. 
I was the first person to actually share that story with you, that our hockey arena here in Kitchener was being used as basically a double for Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. And and because I work in radio and a, particularly radio news, yeah, there's still that part of me that likes to be the first one to report a story. And this all started for me l- last spring when I was leaving the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium late on a Friday night after a game, after a post-game show with you, and I got out into the parking lot, and there were, like, all kinds of trucks. All kinds of trucks. So I, I knew right away that a show was being loaded into the odd. But with that much stuff, it occurred to me, I, I think I should know what's coming to the odd Saturday, the next day, right? So I go online, and I look what shows are scheduled, or what show is scheduled, and nothing shows up. I thought, well... What in H-E double hockey sticks is going on then with all, like, it was a, there were lots of tractor trailers out in the parking lot waiting to come into the odd. Something big was happening. So me being me, you know, I'm pretty nosy. And I also think, you know, that's like my second home, the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. I basically own the place, if you didn't know. So I just marched my patootie right back into that building <laughs> the next day. And I, because I wanted to know what was going on. And that's when we found out, or when, when I found out. And then I actually found myself going back during the filming, and the crew was great. Like, they, they let me walk in there like I did on the place. I promised to stay out of the way. I watched them shoot some of the scenes. I looked around the arena, you know, when they took the advertising off the boards and all of these different things, right? The things that they had done to make Ballard's Bunker and all of this different stuff. The The players that were out on the ice in this equipment that would have been from the area uh, the era pardon me of Boreas Salming all of this different stuff absolutely loved it and then got the producer of the show on the phone to talk to me to talk to us on this show to explain what was going on and what made the memorial auditorium the location the ideal location etc cetera, etc cetera. so yes i knew that the odd was a stand in I knew it a long time ago. We were the first ones to tell you about it, but I got to give credit where it's due as well. And our friends at CTV wisely are telling you this story now that the show is out, right? It's available on a streaming platform because then they can show you the auditorium as it stands today next to a picture of what it looks like in the movie and blah, 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 blah. I think I just wasted three minutes of your life and I'm sorry for that. But I, I just, I felt like, We were the first ones to tell you about that, Norma, but it was a long time ago, and you can't then compare it to what it looks like when the movie's being shot and what it looks like on a a normal day. And also, again, got to give credit to the medium. Television has this opportunity to uh, share stories with you with pictures. All I can do is tell you about it. (laughs) And the pictures really help in this case. So I'm glad you got to see it. I think it's super cool that our hockey arena was a stand-in for Maple Leaf Gardens for the Boreas Almig story, for sure. It is 9.13, time for the Farwell Show. Five things to keep in mind for today. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. And number one on those lists... Or that list of five things to keep in mind for today. That weather system, yep, it's arrived. 
It's expected to dump about 15 centimeters of snow on us today. Number two on the Farwell Show, five things that you want to keep in mind for today. Kitchener Council has decided to appoint the runner-up from Ward 10 in the last municipal election rather than hold a by-election. Now, if you were listening to the show yesterday, you would have heard Ward 1 councillor Scott Davey explain why he felt as though appointing the runner-up made sense in this case. The circumstances are really unique here in that looking back at the election in 2022, the big risk in appointing the runner-up is oftentimes the person that wins has very, very different political views. You know, I have like a right-wing person that wins and then a left-wing person that comes in second. And appointing that second person, in my mind, when that happens, is pretty anti-democratic. Uh, so to start off, that's not the case here. The the, the winner, uh, now MP, MPP Clancy and the runner-up Stephanie Stretch, uh, we're very, very close. They're both, even dem- even demographically, they're both mothers of young children. Their platforms both focused on affordability and homelessness, and, and their overriding theme really was climate change and the environment. So they're very, very similar in that regard, which kind of like waves that major concern of mine away. The other major re- issue that I'm going with personally, the appointment, is the election was phenomenally close. The winner, Ashton Clancy, had 36% of the vote in the ward, whereas the runner-up, Stephanie Stretch, had uh, 34%. And after that, it dropped off quite a bit. So even though they had similar platforms, they they pretty much split the vote there. I understand the rationale. I think it's an interesting, valid argument. I still wish that we had gone the direction of a by-election to find a new person to represent Ward 10, and Councillor Dave Schneider seems to agree with that as well. For me, uh, I I really believe that it's uh, the electorate that should decide who sits here. I just feel strongly about that. I know there's been a a period of time where uh, the residents of of Ward 10 have not been represented, but I, I feel it's up to the electorate to get this right, to choose their person. Things have changed since Election Day. Uh, If there is a by-election, we don't know who might run. I just feel it's best if the electorate makes that decision. And to that end, that's Dave Schneider, Councillor for Ward 2 at last night's council meeting in Kitchener, discussing the idea. I, I actually think Stephanie Stretch, who is going to be appointed, is going to be a very good representative. Clearly, council feels that way, too, because they voted 7-3 in favor of appointing her. But as much as I think that, and 70% of votes on council feels that way, that's, it's not up to us, right? It's not up to just the eight of us, if you will. Uh, it's, it's up to the voters to decide. So I, I wish we had gone to a by-election. But the runner-up from Ward 10, Stephanie Stretch, will be appointed to the Ward 10 seat based on the decision last night. Number three on your Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. Stratford residents staring down a proposed property tax increase of 12.5%. 12.5%. I wonder if they'll hold a festival for that. Number four, our federal government will reportedly meet this week with representatives of Japanese automaker Honda which may be considering an $18.5 billion electric vehicle factory in Canada, likely to in Ontario, right? Because they've already got that plant in Alliston. $18.5 billion, which would, of course, 
dwarf the $7 billion Volkswagen plant in St. Thomas and the $5 billion Stellantis plant in Windsor. And number five on the Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. The Toronto Maple Leafs have signed William Nylander to the largest contract in franchise history, by total value anyway. The 27-year-old Nylander has been signed to an eight-year, $92 million deal. I got lots of thoughts on lots of those things, and maybe you do too. We'll hear from you right after this. It's 917, and this is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is 921, nine minutes away from your update from the City News Center as we get your show underway for this Tuesday, the 9th of January. Enough out of me. Let's go to the phones. Kyle is with us this morning. Hi, Kyle. Good morning. I, I want to call about the uh, Whitney Houston trivia. Yeah. Oh, good. You, are you going to get an answer right? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I'm so gonna... emotional. It's Went to number bit. one for her on this day in 1988. Her sixth consecutive number one. Can you okay. name one of the other five before it got to this so, so emotional at number six? Now, I think my mom had the CD. Okay. That's how back we're going back to. Was it I Will Always Love You? It was not. I will always love you. That was a big hit, but I thought so. Okay. Then then that's all I got. (laughs) That's the only (laughs) song I really know. (laughs) I I mean, a couple of the other songs have love in the title. Uh, Have love in the title? Don't Uh, worry. Listen, I'm with you on Whitney Houston, Kyle. It's okay if you don't know. No, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I promise. Answer's coming before 930. Hang in there. All right, thanks, Ben. <laughs> thanks, bud. <laughs> nice try, though. Good stab at I will always love you, but it's not one of the five before. Uh, Paul, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well today, thank you. How are you? Uh, not bad. What do you figure your listenership is up to now? Have you broken 40 yet? Uh, we're at 40 for sure. I mean, I, I, I like to think still there are dozens and dozens more beyond 40, but there are at least 40, yes. Okay, well... It's that time again. I hope that one of those 40 people out there knows Natalia. It's her birthday today. And if you know Natalia, she's got a brother named Alex as well. Tell her happy birthday from her grandfather, her father, and the whole side of the family that misses her, loves her. Tell her to remember we're still in the same house. If she, I'm sure she can remember where it is. Anytime she wants to come around and say hello, she's welcome at any time, day or night. Happy birthday, Natalia. All right, Paul, I appreciate that call, and we will extend our best birthday wishes to Natalia as well. Thanks for calling in and sharing that. I just want to go back to uh, a couple of the things on the Farewell Show 5 things that you might want to keep in mind for today. One of them being the decision by Kitchener Council to appoint the runner-up from the last election to fill the vacant seat in Ward 10. I understand, and as I said earlier, there is a valid argument. I get where Council is coming from, and particularly Scott Davey when he was on the show yesterday talking about how close the race was, how ideologically aligned the winner, Ashlyn Clancy, and the runner-up, Stephanie Stretch were or are. 
And and one of the other things that's come up in this is how poor voter turnout is generally. So just imagine how much poorer it will be in a by-election, which is absolutely the case. We see by the numbers. But it occurs to me then that we're essentially being punished for our lack of participation in elections. And maybe you can look at this and say, you know what, that's fair, because our actions have consequences. And if our actions in this case are that we are not participating in our democracy, then maybe the ability for us to participate in that democracy should be taken away. Maybe we should take this to heart. This should be a real message to us to get out there and participate in a more fulsome manner when the opportunity presents itself. I still don't think you get to make that decision uh, without public participation. But here we are. The other thing that occurred to me is with that Stratford 12.5% proposed property tax increase. That is a monster, monster number. But I was thinking about this. And with all of the services that cities are trying to deliver and how they try to continue delivering those services as well as other services that maybe the province, for example, used to deliver... One of the other things embedded in that property tax increase or property taxes in general is the money required to pay all of the people that are making sure the services get delivered. And I recognize then that we're talking about a trade-off here. Do you get less in the way of service if you have less in the way of human resources? But I just wonder if there is some, some fat within the government to be trimmed to save some of the money that property tax uh, property owners are being asked to pay through tax. There's probably a pretty big municipal budget just for wages and benefits, etc. Just a thought that I had when I heard that number. All right. As we started the show today, on this day in 1988, Whitney Houston went number one with So Emotional, the song. It was her sixth consecutive number one. The five that came before that. Saving all my love for you. How will I know? Greatest love of all. I want to dance with somebody. And didn't we almost have it all? Those five were number one before So Emotional went number one. And you know what? After that, Where Do Broken Hearts Go? Also went number one for Whitney Houston, giving her seven straight number one hits. The only artist to achieve that. How do you like that? A little bit of Whitney Houston trivia for you as she started our show today, this ninth day of January 2024. To the City News Center we go for an update and then the weather that we were told would be here has arrived. What's in store for us today? We'll check in with Environment Canada coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Well, I said this to Christine earlier this morning when we were chatting during All News Mornings, talking about what was coming up on this show today. I take some degree of comfort, strange as that sounds, in that the weather has arrived just as forecast. Look, in my heart of hearts, you know this is not my favorite weather. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, we'll get more rain than snow, and it'll just be a slushy day. Nothing to shovel later. It'll be easier on the roads, etc., etc. But 
Forecasters told us that the snow would be arriving in the early part of the morning, affecting the morning commute, and we're expecting it to also affect the later commute today when we're headed home from the office, if indeed we went into the office today. But right around 7 o'clock this morning, a little bit before the snow arrived, just as we were told it would. Trudy Kidd is with Environment Canada and joins us to talk more about this system. Trudy, thank you very much for making time. Good morning. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here. So what is it that's bringing all of this snow to southern Ontario today? What's bringing the snow to southern Ontario today is a what's called a Texas low. And what that means is there's a low pressure system that originated in Texas and it's making its way through southern Ontario and it's bringing all sorts of weather. It's a long way to go. Couldn't we stop it before it got here, Trudy? <laughs> if only. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, we will figure that out. You know, I think, you know, put up a big wall or something like that. Uh, so it, it arrived as forecast this morning in the uh, earlier part of the morning. What, what are we expecting now through the day? So for the Kitchener-Waterloo region, uh, we're seeing snow. The snow is going to continue. It's pretty gusty out there, so it feels very much like the winter day we've been expecting. Now, once we hit noon hour, there's a risk of freezing rain with that. So if you've cleared off your windshield, you might have to do a little scraping, maybe. Uh, this is a really tricky weather system, though. It's It's got, you know, we're really close to zero and there's a lot of moisture involved. So while we were right this morning with the snow arriving in the morning, um, there's still some uncertainty about when exactly we're going to switch over to rain. Possibly this afternoon, we might see snow mixed with rain and still remain that risk of freezing rain as well. And then probably later this evening, we'll see the rain. And that rain's not going to last all night. We might switch back to flurries again in the early morning hours when the temperatures start plummeting again. So I guess there's not a whole lot of hope for somebody like me who's not the biggest fan of this stuff, that the rain, when it does arrive, will kind of wash away what's falling. We're going to have substantial enough snowfall that, you know, get those shovels out or those snowblowers and be ready to do some work today. Right, yeah. We're expecting 5 to 10 centimeters, and I, I would imagine if we get that 5 to 10, that the rain won't wash it away. It might make it a whole lot heavier. Unless you've cleared your driveway or sidewalk, whatever you're responsible for, um, yeah, it'll remain wet. But then we've got to be careful because those temperatures are going to dip down again to the freezing mark by early tomorrow morning. So, I mean, we could get even more snow and then it'll be really heavy. Um, Our model guidance has been a little bit all over the place with uh, how much snow we're expected to get. I think 5 to 10 is a pretty good estimate for now, but... Some locales may see a whole lot more, and particularly places further to the south, they might see quite a bit less. A winter weather travel advisory was issued yesterday in advance of this system that's arrived today, Trudy. What is it that prompts Environment Canada to issue those advisories, those watches, those warnings, etc., that we get, we're getting used to? Well, often for our watches and warnings, we have a set of criteria that we want to meet, However, we're changing to be more impact-based. So particular, particularly for winter weather travel advisories, when we issue those, we're expecting 
some sort of impact on driving and commuting and other types of travel. So when when we see some snow in Kitchener-Waterloo, usually it has a bit of an impact on transportation, slowdowns, um, accidents, that kind of stuff. So um, that's that's what would have triggered it today is certainly 5 to 10 is going to be pretty miserable on the roads and we want to alert people to giving themselves extra time, giving them extra space between themselves and the vehicle in front of them and just being extra cautious when they're out and about on the sidewalks and parking lots. I've been snooping around trying to keep my eye on things to see what the rest of the week looks like. And and there seems to be some indication that once this tapers off later today and even to a few flurries overnight, the respite might not be all that long. Are you are you seeing anything else of significance in the forecast later this week? Yeah, yeah. Good eye on that. Yeah, we're not we're not done. So as usual, we have more cloud once this is done and more chances of flurries. And then we're really keeping our eye on Saturday night into Saturday. It looks like we're going to get another low pressure system, another wet one that's going to bring all sorts of precipitation. Right now it's looking like mostly snow, but if you've got events planned this weekend, then really keep an eye on that forecast. And also I like to mention too, if you're heading out somewhere, you're traveling don't forget to check the forecast for where you're going because often it, it can be different from where you are. So if you're heading to Toronto, Peterborough, Ottawa, Niagara, London, wherever you're going, the forecast is probably different and you're going to want to be prepared. Yeah, that's a great reminder because those with the water and all sorts of different things, right? It Things can change rather rapidly from one region to the next. Yeah, exactly. I guess we may have had a green Christmas, but it sounds like winter is going to settle in this week. Would that be fair to say? I think that'd be fair to say, yeah. yeah. We're not always confident as meteorologists, but yeah, this this looks like winter. <laughs> <laughs> Trudy, I really appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Trudy Kidd is a meteorologist with Environment Canada, and she updates us on where we're at where we're headed i don't know about you but five to ten centimeters feels manageable to me and i say that knowing that this is going to be the heavier wetter sloppier stuff but five to ten okay once you're starting to talk you know 10 to 15 certainly 15 to 20 that becomes an amount of snow that is more and more difficult to deal with. And I also say this, by the way, as somebody who does not own a snowblower. My neighbors do, and there have been many occasions where my neighbors have come by and helped out to make sure that the sidewalk gets cleared, etc. And I know lots of neighbors in lots of neighborhoods around the region do that. It's a great thing. I want to give credit where credit is due, and that is, and this is just me, but I, I thought... <laughs> In the back of my mind, when I went to bed last night, I figured it was about 50-50 between whether or not we would have a normal school day or whether or not we would have a transportation-related impact to the school day. Good job here in the region of Waterloo in making the decision that, yes, we can get buses and transportation 
other vehicles for transportation to and from our schools today. It might take a little bit longer, but we can do this. We're talking 5 to 10 centimeters of wet snow. There's no ice, etc. Heck, you want to talk about no ice. I know we're smart about salt around here, but on my way to work this morning, when the roads were dry as a bone, and it, it still felt like spring, quite frankly, before the snow started, <laughs> I saw salters going down iron needles. I get it. It's like a pre-application, right? To prevent what was coming from adhering as quickly as it otherwise might. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to think that we still have it within us as human beings to use that supercomputer between our ears and adapt to the conditions that are presented to us when we're on the roads, when we're walking on the sidewalk, when we're riding our bike in all of the fancy bike lanes we've got around here or on the trails. We can adapt as needed to the weather that is presented to us, can't we? So going back to my 50-50 thinking when I went to bed last night that buses would be canceled or schools would somehow be impacted and I was all ready to come out today, guns a-blazing, you know, just after a two-week Christmas break, we go back for one day and then impacts. But things are tickety-boo. I mean, weather-wise, they're not great, but everything's running as scheduled in the region of Waterloo today. Perhaps a little bit behind schedule, but the buses are moving. You can't say the same for Wellington, Dufferin, uh, and Huron and Perth counties today. They have decided to cancel their buses. And to them, I say a pox on your house. Come on. It's snow. We can handle it. But I know where this all comes from too, right? It's this great, big, fat concern over liability, right? If I get behind the wheel of that bus and take those little kitties to and from their school and heaven forbid something happens, who's on the hook for that? What is going to be the result of that? And we never want the worst, obviously. But I think we're a little bit too quick to pull the plug on things. So I'm glad things are moving as they are in the region. No need with 5 to 10 centimeters of wet snow coming our way to, you know, use that abundance of caution. We're just going to make sure we drive according to the conditions. So here's what I'm curious about. I'm getting the best view I can out my window here. And really... It doesn't look like the snow is coming down all that hard at this point, but I don't have the greatest vantage point. I'll go run to the newsroom and check during this commercial break and see what it looks like out there at the boardwalk. But where are you at this morning, and what's the weather like where you are? And yes, Ian, who called yesterday from Mexico, if you're listening online and you want to rub it in, fine, be that guy. But I'm just curious about... You know, the, the area that you're at, maybe you're in one of our more rural communities. What's the weather like where you are? We'll do some sort of guerrilla weather forecasting here and see what we can put together from our loyal listener base of 40 people. Where are you at and what's the weather doing? I would be particularly interested in hearing from my friends who I know are out there on the road, driving truck, or out in some other vehicle so we can get a sense of those road conditions are well. I want to hear from you. Where are you at? 
what's the weather like? Let me know. How are we? Should we get some storm chips in here? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. We could get even more snow and then it'll be really heavy. Our model guidance has been a little bit all over the place with how much snow we're expected to get. I think 5 to 10 is a pretty good estimate for now, but some locales may see a whole lot more. And particularly places further to the south, they might see quite a bit less. Trudy Kidd with Environment Canada, a meteorologist who joined us this morning to talk about the system that's here. It's one of those Texas lows. It's where all the moisture comes from within this particular system. Expecting between 5 and 10 centimeters and then some rain later on today. Probably a little bit after dinner and not an extended period of rain anticipated anymore. We were earlier expecting the rain to start much sooner in the day. Sounds like the rain comes later and likely even changes back to flurries overnight. But we're in the brunt of the system right now. I did go down the hall and check out the bigger, better windows uh, in the media or in the news center overlooking our parking lot. And we are still getting a, a fairly significant uh, flurry activity right now. And we're expecting, as Trudy told us moments ago, between five and 10 centimeters today. Not terrible, but I'd love to know what it's like where you are. Where are you at right now? And what's the weather like in your area, particularly if you're on the roads? Uh, what are they like out there? How are things going? 519-570-2545. Star 570-1-800-570-5715. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? It's uh, it's slushy. It's uh, I call it greasy on the roads. And okay. uh, it's coming down at a nice clip. But just everyone slow down. If it says 90, drive 80 and uh, keep your distance. That's uh, my uh, pro tip today. You know what? I, I love the way you put that. Absolutely, right? We, we, we can do this, can't we, Jim? We can drive according to the conditions. Yeah, you know, I remember I had an event at the airport and everyone called in. They couldn't come. And I came from Kitchener. I got to the airport, no problem. <laughs> you got some snow tires on, Jim? Well, I started using snow tires when I did uh, three 360s on the 401 and 95. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you learned your lesson, did you? Yeah, yeah. And drive in the right lane if you're driving 80, by the way. All right. Fair All enough. Right, bye-bye. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. You know what? It's funny. I had a, a very similar experience, not doing a full-on 360 on the highway, but I, I remember I was uh, doing delivery driving uh, for my friends at B&D Deliveries way, way back in the day. And obviously, no matter what the weather is, you're out there doing your job. And I learned then, being on the road so much, the value of a good snow tire. And I have been a convert ever since. So I hope you've got them on your car today. And as Jim said, he put it perfectly. If the speed limit's 90, do 80. You're still going to get there. Yeah, we might be a little slower getting around today, but we are going to get where we need to go. Where are you at and what's the weather like? We're going to try to put together our own little weather map of conditions around our listening area today. Back to the phones. Mary, good morning. I will tell you good morning. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I I don't know if I wanted it. I, I was tempted to not take this call, Mary. I'm not on the beach. You're not on the beach. I am in KW weathering the storm. What? You. Why? Uh, due to uh, unforeseen circumstances. Oh, no. Uh, I came home 
and um, don't don't you worry, don't you worry. Uh, I've been using the bike. My husband's using the bike, so we are just fine and dandy in our little snow-covered home. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're fine and dandy. Thank you for making sure that we knew that, yeah, because and, as soon as I heard you were home, I was a little bit concerned, because Myrtle Beach is where you had been. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A- anyway, um, I think now now that I have returned home, that I'm back to the number one spot, because Kyle agrees that I'm number one. Kyle agrees. Wait a minute. What do you mean the number one spot? As in the first of our 40 listeners? Yes. Oh, I've been number one for a long time, and Kyle agrees. What about and, Paul from Preston? Oh, no, no. I've been a, a, a lot longer, oh, okay. longer than Paul. Gosh. I, who, I love that there's competition for this. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. And, and, and if Kyle is listening and has any frozen tomatoes, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mary will take Kyle's frozen tomatoes. I'll just and, let you do with that information what you want. Yeah, and I wish uh, all those out on the road... A safe day, and as the other guy said, slow down. Amen to that. Slow down. All right, Mary. Thanks for the call. I'm glad you're well. Thank you. All right, bye bye. I when I saw Mary's name on my call screen, I thought, oh, we're going to get it rubbed in our faces, aren't we? Mary's calling from Myrtle Beach, but due to unforeseen circumstances, she's back home. But everything's okay, says Mary, which is good to know. And she, like us, is weathering the storm here today. Norma sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. Easy for you to say, Mike, but this morning is the worst I have ever... Really? I've ever driven my school bus in. Like the worst ever or just the worst this year? Even the slightest hill, cars could not get up. The plows and sanders were nowhere to be seen. I needed a massage to get the knots out of my shoulders from the stress of driving three busloads of students. It was awful and I'm not looking forward to the afternoon drive in the freezing rain. One of your 40, Norma. Thank you for that, Norma. I I am genuinely surprised by that, that this is the worst ever. Uh, Not being able to get up hills. Like, does anybody have snow tires on their car? I don't know. I did get here before the snow started. It was, I, I was delighted to be up this morning, getting my coffee ready, looking out the window, realizing I don't have to scrape brush anything off the car and the roads were clear as can be but that is something else and speaking of something else norma gets me thinking when she mentions the plows and sanders were nowhere to be seen i just came back from the north as you know this past weekend sudbury and north bay on our trip with the kitchener rangers and of course sand is much more common than salt up in that part of the province and it, it's a it's a double-edged sword, because I'll tell you what, I, I still had some sand in my suitcase when I got back home to KW, and what a mess that stuff makes. The hotels that we were in, there was somebody, it, it appeared as though their job was constantly sweeping up, vacuuming up, otherwise cleaning up all of the sand that was being dragged by people's feet into those establishments. I want to give Henry a shout-out via Twitter, at Farwell underscore WR. I love what he shared. I am certainly of this mind. Uh, It is a missing persons poster. Have you seen these people? Description. Ambitious young adults with shovels during a snowstorm who are looking to make money by shoveling sidewalks, driveways, etc. Last seen? 
sometime before the invention of Microsoft's Xbox, Sony's PlayStation, and Nintendo's Wii home video consoles. And there's a picture of three young lads with shovels over their shoulders. I was one of those young lads. I would put that shovel over my shoulder and go around and take care of a number of places in the neighborhood because, yes, I too wanted to make a little bit of money as an ambitious young adult. So maybe some of the kids who have made it to school today because we did not cancel buses in the region can come home and then go out and make some money shoveling snow. Hey, kids, come to my place. I'll pay. I'll pay. All right, we're going to get you to the City News Center for your 10 o'clock update. And then we've heard all manner of talk about housing, the kind of housing we can build, how we can build it. But are all of these grand visions forgetting a key element of the home building equation? Maybe. And we'll talk about that coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. Stay with us on City News 570. When I say housing, you say expensive, inaccessible, unavailable, unaffordable. We talk a lot about housing on this show. In fact, our elected officials talk an awful lot about housing. And that goes for officials elected locally here in the region of Waterloo, provincially in Ontario, federally across the country. Housing may well be the issue that defines our conversations today. And in all of the conversations, is it possible, just maybe, that we're leaving out a key element of the equation? Perhaps that's the case, and we discuss it this morning with Pascal Chan, who's the Senior Director of Transportation, Infrastructure and Construction at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Pascal, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for making the time for another important conversation about housing because you bring to bear to this conversation, Pascal, something that I hadn't really given an awful lot of thought to. And even when we look at the video from Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev that's been uh, seen by millions of people called Housing Hell, do you think it's still missing this key element from the equation? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a gap between the experts that know how to create more housing because they do it professionally and the policymakers that definitely need to think about what the tangible implications are or the barriers that are being faced by the people that are building it um, are going through as they create this policy. And it's an important voice to have around the table. Uh, and I can talk a little bit more about you know, perhaps why the chamber is wading into it and, and what the need for that is. Absolutely. I would I would love to know that because we're talking about the, the people that actually build the homes here and how their voices may be muffled a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And, and I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say they've necessarily been suppressed, but I think that having us around the table is very important. So the Canadian Chamber of Commerce hasn't historically been vocal about housing, but we recently established a Housing and Development Strategy Council because it is consequential to business and the Canadian economy. 
And while members of the council itself are leaders in creating the housing supply that Canada needs, housing is a business concern for more than just our members who are directly in the housing space. So if you're a business operating in Canada, you need to be able to hire that top talent. And Canada can't attract and retain that talent if they don't believe they'll be able to afford a place to live. And then companies will need to think about whether having significant operations here is a good idea. And so Canada's global competitiveness and economic prosperity, that's intricately linked with our ability to attract investment. And that's why we need to see more done. And I think I I had an author that ran the Globe on Friday, but it's worth repeating that Canada's housing agency and their former CEO, Romy Bowers, acknowledged this too, that we can't succeed economically in the 21st century without Canadians having the housing that they need. And that's really the bottom line. Can you find any positive steps that the government has taken in an attempt to address this crisis? Definitely. And, and, you know, there's obviously a lot more that we need to see, but we need we do need to give credit where credit is due. When Sean Fraser was appointed Minister of Housing, Infrastructure and Communities, the Canadian Chamber wrote to him with some targeted recommendations. First, that he leveraged the tools at his disposal, such as bilateral infrastructure agreements with provinces and territories, as well as the Housing Accelerator Fund you've been hearing lots about to collaboratively address obstacles to building the housing that we need by 2030. And about a month later, I think this was about September, alongside the Prime Minister, he announces the first agreement under the Housing Accelerator Fund to fast-track creation of over 2,000 additional housing units in London, Ontario. And second, we also requested that he take a whole-of-government approach, kind of drawing on his experience as Minister of Immigration to proactively attract that much-needed skilled labour in residential construction that's going to enable us to build those homes that we need to match those ambitious immigration targets and our targets uh, just for housing in general. But at the end of October, the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship revealed his plan, his plan sorry, for the future of Canada's immigration system, which does include changes to express entry that prioritizes candidates that add more workers to Canada's home building sector. So that said, there's still a massive gap between that industry expertise I mentioned and policymakers. So the people who create housing supply need to be more involved in the strategy and planning to address the issue. And perhaps we can talk about some of the, the things that we've seen already and how those could have been possibly improved with a little bit more expertise around the table. In terms of the the workforce that has been permitted entry to the country, we could have improved there? I think we can always improve that. And I, I'm not going to speak over there and say, okay, well, we still need to assess exactly what those targets are going to be. And then we know that we have a labor shortage. We need to know that if, if we need to be able to assess whether those targets need to be adjusted to meet um, like, do we need to be doing more? Does that need to be a larger uh, proportion of what we're bringing in or who we're bringing in, sorry, um, to address that labor shortage? So we still need to assess that amongst our members and, and, and the larger space that um, for the house or the home building space. But again, there's going to be more that we need to do. I'm also talking about things like Bill C-56 that just passed through the house, both chambers, actually, the Affordable Housing and Groceries Act. So there were amendments there to the Excise Act, and that was the one that removes the GST for new purpose-built rental to incentivize that construction. But, you know, it's a good policy and generally welcomed by everybody in the housing space. That said, the bill was, an, uh, it was really just a missed opportunity to go a little bit further to help Canada tackle the issue and restore that affordability for Canadian families. Because while it's critical to incentivize the construction of new apartment buildings, student housing, and senior residents. It's also important to ensure that projects that are currently under construction are completed in a timely manner. Unfortunately, those projects are contending with rising interest rates, a shortage of skilled labor, lack of supply for raw materials, and then challenges in refinancing or attracting that new capital. So the reality is 
viability of current projects is now in question, which impacts the ability to successfully complete them, and then also having capacity to allocate capital to new ones. So to address that problem, we recommended very minor changes to that bill that would extend the GST rebates to projects that were currently under construction. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, that bill was sort of rushed through both the House of Commons and the Senate, so we didn't see those amendments that we were hoping for. And, and that's a pretty specific example of the crux of it is this. You know, if we're in a housing crisis, we need to shift into crisis management mode, and that means pulling every tool out of the toolbox to make it happen. Would you argue, Pascal, that it's really the private sector that can do the job of meeting this crisis head-on better than the public sector? I think the private sector is, it has to be involved, and you saw... CMHC's deputy chief economist say just that. I mean, the, the reality is the private sector builds the vast majority of housing in Canada, you know, all housing that we're talking about. And, you know, we're hoping that, you know, this Housing and Development Strategy Council is that bridge to establishing regular conversations with the federal government to, to bridge that knowledge gap. And I also talked about you know, we need true partnerships at all levels of government, which again is an issue and nonprofit housing provider. But of course, the private sector are the ones who are going to get this job done that are going to build the housing we need. They are the ones who have the expertise that are going to help you develop good policy that enable us to make the progress that we need and get closer to those targets. Uh, and, and so, again, if you're not counting on the private sector to, to lead you there, then you're not relying on the people who are actually doing the job, and that's kind of a, a really, really big issue. Are you confident as we enter 2024 that we can meet the rather ambitious housing targets that have been set out provincially 1.5 million homes, nationally 3.5 million? I don't think anybody is confident at this point with what's on the table that we're going to be able to meet those targets. I'd like to believe that we're going to be able to do it. And I think, as I mentioned, the private sector has a lot to say. And obviously, the Canadian economy is counting on us meeting those targets. But from what I'm seeing right now, what is existing and what is available, I don't see a path towards it. I'm hoping that with some of these recommendations that we're bringing forward and some more innovative thinking and a lot more collaboration, that we are going to be able to get there. Are you bringing these recommendations forward to ministers federally, committees? Where, where are they coming from? Yeah, absolutely. We've definitely sat down with the, the Minister of Housing's office a couple of times. Uh, we're, we hope to have more uh, meetings in the future as well. This, as I mentioned, our Housing and Development Strategy Council uh, has had two meetings already, and, and we're going to be meeting with a lot more key decision makers over the course of the next few months. Um, we have, again, submitted briefs to committee, again, on C-56 specifically, to address and propose amendments to those bills and pieces of legislation that would have made kind of the change that we need to see to, to, to bridge some of that gap. So we're going to be engaging with absolutely all stakeholders, um, especially at the federal level, because that is the key area that we work in. Um, but again, hoping that we can address some of those provincial and municipal barriers with good federal policy as well. Uh, but with a very big focus uh, at the federal level. Pascal, it's an important conversation, and I appreciate you being a part of it. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate the time, Mike. Pascal Chan is the Senior Director of Transportation, Infrastructure and Construction with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. I read that op-ed that Pascal made reference to in the Globe and Mail last week. And that's what prompted this conversation today. Because as Pascal explains so well in this conversation, and what the op-ed, the direction that the op-ed points us, is that all of these grand housing visions that we're hearing about from all levels of government often forget to involve the folks who are actually building the homes. And yes, 
That does include, of course, the private sector, because the private sector builds the lion's share of housing in this country. And what the, the other thing that this made me think about, and, and this brings it a whole heck of a lot closer to home, in fact, it puts it right here in the region of Waterloo, with our rather ambitious Build Now initiative. And that was launched last July, so coming up on six months ago now, six full months ago since it was launched. That's the plan that was brought forward here in the region of Waterloo to build 10,000 homes by 2030. Time's ticking on that clock for sure. But what I found really interesting about the Build Now initiative is that the private sector, builders, construction organizations were at the table at the launch saying, we're ready to do this as well. We're ready to roll up our sleeves and be a part of this solution for Waterloo Region. And one of the arguments when the Build Now initiative was launched is exactly what you just heard Pascal Chan from the Canadian Chamber of Commerce say. Our competitiveness as a country, is being disadvantaged when people, professionals, cannot come here with any hope of being able to afford or somehow buy a home. And that argument was made by the folks behind Build Now Waterloo Region. If you've got nurses and teachers and a host of other professionals in this community who cannot even afford a home in the community, then you've got yourself a real problem. Dare I say again, you've got yourself a crisis. And how do you remain competitive as even a community, much less a country, if you can't offer that kind of affordability to the sorts of professionals that you would like to have in your community? These are the sorts of professionals that have made up our community for generations. So I'm not really sure how we're going to go about squaring that circle. But as Pascal argues, the private sector has to be at the table here. The Canadian Chamber of Commerce doesn't often weigh into things like this and doesn't take lightly that it's weighing in now. But The meetings are happening, the conversations are being had, and this is at a national level. But right here at the hyper-local level, we've got a virtually identical plan in front of us with home builders, with the private sector on board saying, we're ready to do this. We're going to get these 10,000 housing units built. One of the big things about that, of course, is where's the land? There has not been one parcel of land yet that's been put forward for us to build on here. And every day, every week, every month we delay, the less competitive we become. Is somebody else going to figure it out before us? Are other nations in the world figuring it out before Canada? Our nation's competitiveness is at stake. Locally, our own competitiveness is at stake. You can't attract workers here if they don't have a place to live. And again, I'll say, 
if teachers and nurses and other professionals are unable to afford the cost of housing in your community, you've got yourself a real problem. Are we missing a key element in all of this? Do you have confidence that we can meet our housing targets? Provincially, 1.5 million homes in the next seven years. Federally, 3.5 million is the number. Heck, we talked about housing starts being down on the show last week. We are behind our targets. Now, when we had Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe on the show to talk about it, she expressed confidence that we are going to meet our numbers locally. The numbers locally, by the way, 70,000 homes by 2031. How confident are you that we can meet our targets? And if you don't think we can, what is it that's holding us back? 519-570-2545. Star 570. 1-800-570-5715. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The private sector are the ones who are going to get this job done that are going to build the housing we need. They are the ones who have the expertise that are going to help you develop good policy that enable us to make the progress that we need and get closer to those targets. And so, again, if you're not counting on the private sector to lead you there, then you're not relying on the people who are actually doing the job, and that's kind of a really, really big issue. Pascal Chan is the Senior Director of Transportation Infrastructure and construction at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. He argued in an op-ed last week that was published in the Globe and Mail that regardless of your position on the housing hell video that has had millions of views created by the federal Conservative Party and featuring none other than leader Pierre Poiliev, that video continues down the same problematic path such discussions always take, specifically... Chan argues it leaves out the people who build the vast majority of houses for Canadians. And that, of course, is the private sector. Now, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce is wading into the housing issue and attempting to have that private sector's voice at the table. While he wouldn't go so far as to say the private sector's voice has been suppressed in all of this, it certainly is an important piece of the overall puzzle. And it made me think of the Build Now initiative here in the region. 10,000 homes is the goal through Build Now, and the private sector is already at the table. Right? It was, it was part of the group that brought forward the idea for the region. So on a micro scale, I would argue, we're ready to get it right here in the region. We just got to get going, and I'm still wondering where the heck all the land is in that regard. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Sophia, good morning. Good morning. I agree everything what you tell today. Everything. Problem is uh, land. This is his only problem. Canada has lots of people, immigrants from before came from Europe, they uh, boulder almost half of them. I am hundred percent sure so boulder. They be build houses. Mennonite people. They boulder. They build the houses. They upset so they can't build for their own children. They have lots of land and they can't build houses for their own children. 
problem is land. I don't understand why, because right now, not too much growing on this land. Right now, everywhere build greenhouses. Easy to product, lots of food, and small place. Sophia, I appreciate the call. I, I understand your concern there. She believes, Sophia does, that the problem here is land or the lack thereof. And we are such a large land mass. But what we are doing is intensifying and densifying our major urban centers today, which I understand the argument for. And okay, and I'm going to say this again. I've, I've brought it up before. I'm hearing more and more about it. I'm not telling tales out of school here. Everybody, it seems, at least in this community, wants a piece of Rockway Golf Course, whether it's for a new hospital, whether it's for the Build Now initiative. But there seems to be a growing chorus of voices who say we're wasting that space, that prime real estate in a nice part, a core area of Kitchener on a golf course. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'm hearing lots more people ask, what about Rockway Golf Course? for development as opposed to just being quote-unquote wasted as a golf course land is a big issue in all of this and so too is the private sector's voice perhaps not being at the table when all of these policies are being rolled out an update from the city news center is on the way and then let's talk a little bit about american politics because later this year a new president will be elected will it be a second consecutive term for Joe Biden, or will the other old boss come back same as the new boss? Donald Trump's path to the White House could be paved by Joe Biden's ego. We'll explore that coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Later this year, Americans will vote for their next president. Will Joe Biden get a second consecutive term? Or will the man whose terms were interrupted by Biden, that being Donald Trump, re-emerge as the president in the United States of God bless America? Ronald Prusin is an emeritus professor of history at the University of Toronto. He's got a few thoughts on the race and the year ahead in the United States and joins us for a conversation on the show this morning. Ron, good morning. Good morning. It, it seems to me, from the outside looking in, from you know up here in cozy Canada, that uh, Americans are faced with a, <laughs> a, a couple really of, of options where they might just have to hold their nose a little depending on which direction they go. Both of these gentlemen are... Aged, and in Donald Trump's case, of course, there comes it comes with the stench of of scandal. How do you sort of handicap the the year ahead in American politics? Uh, it is hard to predict, isn't it? <laughs> uh, particularly given that the, the 
moment that we're we're in when the Republicans and Trump certainly uh, very much included are are sucking up a lot of the air in the room in terms of the primary struggles and I think media attention, uh, which, you know, is focused on a contest and and its traditional uh, media prioritization. I get that. Uh, But it could be distorting, um, including the tilt uh, of the the polls that clearly seem to be uh, suggesting a a neck-and-neck race. It may well be. Uh, You know, the uh, the, the political arena in the United States, not for the first time, but certainly in a very dramatic way this year, is deeply divided, incredibly partisan, you know, bitter, uh, poisonous uh, atmosphere in so many ways. Uh, that makes it difficult to predict. My own sense is at the moment, and boy, I may well be wrong, <laughs> is that by the time the election comes around, I think uh, the there is a decent chance, uh, not as solid as I'd like it to be personally, but a decent chance that the the handicaps that Trump is operating under will prove forbidding enough uh, to allow Biden to uh, to, to win uh, a re-election. Totally understand attitudes uh, and concerns about uh, about Biden, his age in particular, of course. Um, and, you know, some discomfort with certain kinds of, of policy decisions that he's had to make. But I think the record is very strong. Um, I think uh, the, uh, the nature of the economic environment will um, stand a good chance of, of seeming solid enough, recovered enough uh, to, to give him uh, an edge, particularly against a candidate like uh, like Donald Trump. Again, could be wrong, but uh, but but that's where I'm maybe wishful thinking, <laughs> uh, anticipating things at this point. Well, and and as loath Ron as I am to make this an ageist conversation or argument, uh, it, it's pretty easy to argue that perhaps uh, Joe Biden should step aside for somebody younger, but he doesn't. He doesn't appear ready to do that. No, I don't think so. And and certainly my perception on this, and I spoke to students and uh, and other people about this uh, at the beginning of the Biden presidency, is my own sense is that he should have uh, made it clear that his was a one-term presidency. He's had some tremendous accomplishments against great odds uh, over the past uh, three years. But his age is, uh, is evident, and I think it is reasonable, um, not absolutely reasonable. There's a strong case to be made for him, but it's reasonable uh, to say that um, he should have helped prepare the ground for the next generation of Democratic Party leaders. There are people out there who have given enough time um, and running space to build up speed uh, would have been able to, um, I, I think, handle the, uh, the 2024 situation with uh, with real capability, perhaps more capability than Biden can bring to the mix. It's not where we are at this point. Uh, it's way too late, it seems to me, to keep talking about finding a, a replacement uh, for, for Biden uh, at, at this stage. Um, and so, you know, those of us who uh, find ourselves extremely critical, extremely worried about Donald Trump, um, are, are keeping our fingers crossed. On both sides of the border, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would certainly add. For a man that 
was yearning to be president for as long as Joe Biden was. Is there any risk in your eyes of him tarnishing any legacy that he could otherwise leave behind by, you know, for lack of a better phrase, sticking it out too long? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, the worst tarnish, it goes beyond tarnish, it would just destroy the whole armor, uh, is if, if Trump is reelected uh, because of the, the weaknesses of a Biden candidacy, candidacy in 2024. Beyond that, I, I don't think it'll be long lasting, but I'm a historian, so I tend to think, <laughs> uh, I tend to think slightly differently about uh, about such things. I think if he wins re-election, I think this big debate about whether he should have uh, run again or whether he should have prepared the ground for somebody else will fade uh, fairly quickly. And the emphasis will be on uh, the accomplishments, at least of the first term. I mean, heaven only knows uh, what a second Biden term will bring, both domestically in the United States and internationally, which is needless to say, a pretty explosive environment uh, at, at this point. But I don't, I don't think a, a Biden victory will pave the way for, uh, for a lot of severe criticism uh, of, of Biden or tarnish uh, on, the, uh, on the record, depending, of course, on what would happen during a second Biden presidency. Given your role as a historian, Ron, do you see a cautionary tale, perhaps, for Biden in Franklin Delano Roosevelt? I do, and it's it's something I've I've written about. It's how you and I got connected, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it uh, is. I, I I do. I I think um, there's no question that Roosevelt's record was even more brilliant, uh, more successful than uh, than Biden's has been, for good reason. Biden's only been in the White House for three years. But there's no question as well that by 1944, his health problems were very severe. Um, and he was, uh, I think, giving every indication of, of being overconfident in his ability to hang on and achieve yet some more significant role uh, objectives, particularly about creating a more peaceful environment in the aftermath of the Second World War had some terrific ideas. He remained brilliant and creative in all kinds of ways. But he also became too uh, emphatically tied to his own role um, and didn't share responsibility, didn't even share the vision uh, that he had as uh, strenuously as he might have. And it left people like Harry Truman, a new vice president, for instance, but even a secretary of state, Edward Stettinius, who was recently appointed left them very unprepared uh, when Roosevelt died in April of 1945, just barely uh, having started his fourth term in the White House. I I think what you find, even with leaders of very significant achievements, and I think Biden is one of those, Roosevelt absolutely was one of those, a tendency sometimes to risk um, going over the line between ego and self-confidence, which are absolutely desirable for a leader, uh, over the line from ego and self-confidence into, you know, what what the Greeks would have called uh, ego or uh, hubris or arrogance, uh, I, I think. And it's dangerous, uh, both in terms of their own record, but really more in terms of the countries or the communities they're, uh, they're, they're trying to lead. 
It's going to be uh, an interesting 10 months ahead for sure. Uh, Ron, really appreciate your time on our show today. Thanks very much for being here. Sure. Glad to do it. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Ronald W. Prusin is a professor emeritus of history at the University of Toronto. Joins us this morning to talk about the election ahead in the United States and, and whether or not, and I think hubris is such a good word for it, and, and, and whether Joe Biden's hubris or ego will actually be the defining factor to bring Donald Trump back to the White House. Look, I know that some people flat out millions, tens of millions of people flat out support Donald Trump regardless. And one of the concerns that I think anybody on the Democratic side should have is the division within the party itself as to whether or not Joe Biden should have been seeking a second consecutive term. But I'm going to take away, I'm I'm going to strip away, just for the purposes of my high-level thoughts on this, all of the politics and and simply say, say this. Joe Biden is 81 years old. Should he successfully win re-election, he'll be 85 when his term, his second term is up. Donald Trump turns 78 this year, which would make him 82 at the end of another term in the White House. I, I really, I mean it. The older I get, the more uncomfortable I am with making age such a determining factor. I hope that I am vital and spry and lively at 81. I do. I hope you are at whatever age you're at. But at some point, don't you just say, enough is enough. And there are other people with more energy and better ideas in whatever walk of life than a 78-year-old or an 81-year-old, because those are the ages of the people who will be competing for the presidency of the United States. And maybe, just maybe, it's the ego of the 81-year-old that lets the 78-year-old skate back into the Oval Office. I don't know. That's just, again, high-level thought from here. Your thoughts on the year ahead in American politics. Do you have a horse in the race? 519-570-2545. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1-800-570-5715. Our friend Jersey Bill, you must have a thought or two on American politics. Of course, I'm with <laughs> that old horse, Joe. My old my old Uncle Joe. Yeah, that's who I want to see. But, you know, the, the real problem with, when you're the when you're the president uh, and you and you wanted to put up your one term, now now the the vice president is going to be your natural successor you know and and um, unfortunately um, I think that that Vice President Harris is a very capable woman, but unfortunately uh, people see part of Hillary Clinton and also part of Barack Obama uh, and you know there's that unfortunate reluctance to get wholly behind a a mixed race woman. Uh, for the presidency, and I, 
I, you know, I, I hate I hate to say that, but that's that seems to be something that would be thrown at her, and it shouldn't be. But that's that's where we are in American politics, and you know, I, I think it was a good choice for vice president. Hopefully, in four years' time, uh, uh, she might be able to uh, be able to run. And I, I think she's had a decent record as vice president. He's given her a fair amount of responsibilities. Um, also about the age thing, you know, when you think back, you know, the um, uh, eighty-one is not like. Uh, 81 is more like 65 years, uh, you know, back uh, 50 years ago. Uh, Eisenhower in his 60s had his heart problems. And uh, Reagan, we know, was already suffering the early stages of Alzheimer's toward the end. Uh, but um, I think Joe Biden is in fairly decent health. I, 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 I'm worried about the fact that how he can carry on. But uh, I keep telling everybody. At least he's a human being, and his and his frailties are human. This other person, the, the latest thing that Mr. Trump has said is that he wants the American economy to collapse this year, so he can benefit from its collapse. The 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 man is worse than self interested. He really wants to hurt everybody else just for him to get ahead. I'm sorry, that's my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for sharing it. That's what the show is all about, and I I like the way Jersey Bill phrased that. Biden's frailties are human. Fair enough. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back with more of your thoughts on the presidential election in the United States. I know we're about 10 months away from the actual election, but do you have a horse in this race? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. The political arena in the United States is deeply divided, incredibly partisan. That makes it difficult to predict. My own sense is at the moment, and boy, I may well be wrong, there is a decent chance that the handicaps that Trump is operating under will prove forbidding enough to allow Biden to win re-election. Ronald Prusin is an emeritus professor of history at the University of Toronto. Joins us this morning to talk a little bit of U.S. politics because it is a big year stateside, of course. Will it be Biden? Will it be Trump? And Ron argues that it could well be Joe Biden's ego at the tender age of 81 that, in fact, paves the road for Donald Trump's return to the White House. 519 570 2545 star 570 and 1 800 570 57 15. I'll go back to the phones. Sean, what do you make of the year ahead in U.S. politics? To me, it's a very, very scary year. Donald Trump has expressed admiration for people like Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong un, and uh, the leader of China. And he's also said he wants to turn the U.S. into a dictatorship, and he wants to burn it all down. I mean, he's a very scary guy, and I've listened to him rant. And Joe Biden, I don't think he's a bad guy, but his ego could be, I mean, he could lose the White House because of his ego. And I'm thinking, you know, like living in Canada, we go as the U.S. goes, so this could affect us. If the U.N. goes on a totalitarian bent, this is going to have a very bad effect upon us. To me, this is a very this could be a very pivotal a very pivotal year that historians will be looking at in a long time from now so uh, this should be a very closely studied election that we need to watch closely uh, yeah this is like to me this is a very scary election all right sean i appreciate the call and i have no doubt 
that this will be one of those times that, yes, as Sean says, we look back at this as a pivotal year in U.S. political history. Look, I'm just going to be blunt about it. When you enter office, if you enter office at the age of 81, exiting at the age of 85, your chances clearly increase of not exiting office at all, except in a pine box. We could be talking about that. I don't know. And again, I don't mean to be as ageist as I'm clearly being here, but goodness gracious me, at some point, do not either of these men just say, it's time to do something different. Trump turned 78 this year. Biden's already 81. This is the best that U.S. politics has to offer to voters. Really. That's where we're at, huh? Bob, what do you think? Well, personally, I have relatives in the States, and they say if Trump gets in, they're coming back. They're coming back to Canada? Yeah, they got two citizenships. Well, wait a minute now. Hang on. Now, you're, now this, is get, this gets interesting to me, because have you not before, Bob, compared Pierre Poiliev to Donald Trump light here in Canada? Well, that's what I was about to say. He may not okay, so then, so if your relatives leave the U.S., what if they're coming back here to Donald Trump light? Uh-oh. I told him, yes, and it might not be that much better up here. <laughs> well, Bob, what the heck are you going to do? Like, that's a very gloomy outlook for you. The prospects do not look good at all. No, well, they both get in. It's, it's, it's the end times, Mike, I tell you. The end times? Yep, it's just around the corner. Like, are we talking full-on rapture here, Bob? Or, like, when you say the end times, what do you mean? I mean, we're done. We're done. The world's going to have to re- find a way to repopulate, starting with, with some kind of all over again. All eight billion. So if if Donald Trump wins in the U.S. and Pierre Polyev wins in Canada, the human race will be extinguished. Yeah, you got okay. pumping oil and Trump doing the same thing, and you're just going to watch the world burn. All right, Bob. Thanks for the gloom and doom outlook. Whew, that gives me a little bit of a shudder. There'd be if anybody with connections to Hollywood is listening, that might be the plot for your next uh, doomsday film. I don't know. Trump in the states, Polyev in Canada. Bob says that's it. We're going to have to repopulate. It is going to be a very interesting year. And as the old saying goes, when the United States gets a cold, Canada sneezes. So yes, what happens in U.S. politics will, of course, have an impact on us. All right, we're a couple minutes away from 11 o'clock. At that time, of course, we'll get you an update from the City News Center. And then here we are on the first working Tuesday of the month of January. I know last Tuesday, the second, was the first Tuesday of the month, but it still felt like a holiday week. So it's today that we've got Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell and Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths joining us for an hour of Ask the Chief here. So you can have your policing questions answered by our region's top cops. That's coming up next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. All right, get off my case, would you? I know it's not the first Tuesday of the month, okay? I told you this last week. I made an executive decision. It still felt like a holiday week last week. It did. I was here. These guys were working. 
But, you know, it was a different kind of week. So here we are on the first, what I'm calling Working Tuesday of the month. And uh, as has been tradition here for years now, uh, going back to a previous police chief, we have an hour with our police leaders in studio for you to ask questions. Look at that. I don't even need to say any more. The phones start to ring. Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell is in studio with us. Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year, Mike. And Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths joins us as well. He leads the Traffic Services Division. And a Happy New Year to you, sir. Safe and happy one in 2024, Mike. Safe. That's the operative word, and we'll get to that when we uh, discuss some things on the road with you, Scott. Mark, as we get things started, uh, and before we get to the phones, remember, the lines are open. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. One of the things I certainly wanted to talk to you about was the recent uh, robbery la- late last night at a Kitchener Mall. Uh, what I would describe as the smash and grab at a jewelry store. These things have been happening very frequently. Uh, what can you tell us about this latest? Sure. So it was last night just after 8 o'clock at Fairview Park Mall, uh, a jewelry store um, was uh, was hit basically by three uh, masked, uh, gloved uh, suspects uh, entered the jewelry store with hammers, uh, pepper spray, uh, smashed display cases and stole merchandise, fled them all uh, within a couple of minutes in a silver gray SUV. And our investigative teams, including the robbery team, our frontline response team, general investigations are investigating. And uh, this is not the first that we've seen of this type uh, dating back to uh, to last year. There was a couple similar ones, uh, November 25th, Fairview Park Mall, October 31st, Fairview Park Mall, and then a couple at Conestoga dating back in October and February. So these are really concerning for us. They're violent. They're, it's organized crime. Uh, they're very deliberate. It takes planning to, to conduct something like this. And just very traumatic and alarming for anyone present, um, the, the patrons of the mall, but also the, um, the employees of the store. So I can just tell you we're working around the clock trying to intervene and identify. And we know that... Uh, some of these involve people from our region, and then some are also involving people coming into Waterloo Region to conduct these um, these crimes because of the the highway access uh, and the availability of uh, a, you know a quick access point uh, often to the highway. You touched on something there, Mark, that I think is important to emphasize, and you and I talked about it just briefly before we went on the air. And that is, you know, when we hear about a robbery like this, we think about the merchandise stolen in the jewelry store, et cetera. But the impact on people, not only working in that store, but who might have been in the mall at the time is is really significant in these instances. And I think that's what's most alarming, you know, to me as a citizen, but also as a professional is, um, you know, with everything we're going to talk about today is that we can't allow this to be commonplace. I mean, this cannot become a normal thing that we just accept or expect. Um, I mean, we live in a vibrant, growing region, but it's really concerning. It's really alarming and distressing. You know, I can tell you our investigators uh, have robberies as one of their top priorities. I know we're going to talk about shootings and probably some break-and-enters as well. And those are our top three crime suppression, um, you know, focus areas uh, last year and heading into the future as well because we know the level of victimization is uh, is severe. And these aren't... Uh, things that people forget or, you know, just get past. I mean, the level of trauma that uh, people endure when something like this happens is long-lasting. So we're doing our very best to uh, to reduce and eliminate and prevent everything we can, and it takes community support to do it. So anyone who has information about this incident or others, uh, we do encourage to call police or Crime Stoppers to help us uh, continue the investigation. Okay, so this just goes back to 8 o'clock last night. You yes. alluded to a couple other things that I'm interested in exploring today. That 
is uh, gun violence, uh, shots being fired into a, a home in Cambridge recently, and a rash of residential break-ins. We will get to that through the hour. Scott, though, with you, the, the lead story, if you will, as I speak from a news perspective, but the number of pedestrian vehicle collisions we've been seeing in just the last two months, it's alarming to me. I can only assume that somebody in your position feels that same sense of alarm. Absolutely. We're very concerned about the uh, the interactions that pedestrians are having with vehicles out on our roadways. Um, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack in regards to that topic. Um, but I will say that uh, year over year, we are seeing uh, not dissimilar numbers to what we had last year, but obviously we're concerned about the level of injury. So in, in 2023, the level of injury around the same time of year has gone up. So we're very concerned about the safety of pedestrians. We're very concerned about the movement of vehicles and how that's being done in the region, but we want to make sure that uh, everybody's getting there safely. I'm curious on the level of injury that you make note of, because that suggests to me perhaps it's size of vehicles, the speed at which the vehicle was traveling. What do we know about these incidents and whether or not, you know, we've got inattentive drivers, people crossing in areas they shouldn't be crossing. What do we know about these? So each individual collision is obviously different, sure. and, and each one we're looking into as a separate matter and, and trying to find patterns. But I will say to you is, is that we're finding a lot of these are happening or have been happening in the early evening hours. So it's dark. Um, the weather conditions are not always optimal. And this is the time of year where it's not sunny at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening. So we're having, and we also have a, we also have a combination of intersection-related and non-intersection-related. So there's lots of different things to consider as a driver as well as a pedestrian. So everybody's a road user. Um, there's obviously responsibilities. Uh, the responsibility on a driver is, I think, is outweighs, uh, is certainly an oversized responsibility because of what you're driving and what you're moving around on the roadway. But there's also some advice and, and, and guidance we can give to pedestrians as well to be safer, to be more seen, and to be... Uh, just, you know, uh, more uh, more uh, visible to the public. We're all trying to get around in an increasingly crowded community as well, right? It's crowded on the trails, it's crowded on the sidewalks, it's crowded on the roads. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're, we're growing at an exponential rate in this region, and sometimes the infrastructure keeps up. In new neighborhoods, obviously, we have, they always install sidewalks when the houses are built. But then we have commercial areas and other areas that are transitioning to different types of residences or housing or, or retail and the infrastructure is not always there, the sidewalks, the crosswalks, the intersections. So. Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths heads the Traffic Services Division for Regional Police. Chief Mark Crowell is in studio with us as well. And you can have your policing questions answered. We'll get to the phones right after this quick timeout, but I wanted to make sure we started with those recent incidents and big stories that police are working on and that we're hearing about in the community. Your calls when we come back on the Mike Farwell Show. It's Ask the Chief on City News 570. And Rogers TV. Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell, Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, in studio with us to answer your policing questions they join us first tuesday of every month between 11 and noon and let's get to the phones for our patient callers who have been waiting as i got some questions answered off the top paul you're gonna start 
Whoever thought that I was patient. <laughs> no, no, I was being patient. Don't make me hang up on you. <laughs> okay, I, I won't say the name. Listen, I'm having a really hard time understanding. I, I see in the news the other day that there was a house peppered with gunfire here in Cambridge, and that is totally unacceptable. What I don't understand is, with all the changes that the uh, Trudeau liberals have made to firearms laws, how can this possibly be happening? We've got, you know... Shootings are going up. They're not going down. What? Why aren't people obeying the laws that the Liberal government has put in place in order to protect Canadian citizens? All right, Paul. Appreciate the call and the political commentary. Uh, but you know what, Mark? This touches on something that we were going to talk about today because I do share Paul's concern with the increasing frequency of such incidents in the community. Sure. Thanks, Paul, for your call. And, and I share your concerns about, uh, as you mentioned, a house peppered with uh, 11 uh, bullets. Uh, this is an incident happened on January 5th in Cambridge, Secure Street, Munch Avenue. And so we've released um, footage of a white SUV fleeing the area. We believe to be involved. This investigation is continuing with our general investigations unit and obviously appealing for help. So this was the first shooting incident of 2024. And for some context, uh, we had 18 shootings last year. Half of those involved um, people being struck by gunfire, resulting in two homicides of the 18. Uh, the other half were incidents like this where gunfire is, um, you know, occurring uh, during a dynamic incident or into a residence or building of, of, you know, similar nature. And so when we look back at the last five years, we've had an average of 19 shootings per year uh, over the past five years and uh, very concerning. And just for some additional context, um, we are seeing, as I've mentioned probably every time, is not just only illegal firearms. Um, also, in some of our investigations, are the legal possession of firearms, but also replica firearms, 3D printed guns, um, paintball guns. People are, uh, if it's not a real firearm, they're using uh, in an imitation of some kind during the course of a violent uh, occurrence as well. So last year, we had about 269 seized firearms by the end of November um, uh, sorry, surrendered to us uh, during the course of our investigations and about 339 seized. Uh, we'll probably have some updated statistics soon, but um, guns are out there. Uh, we're seeing them all across Ontario um, using the commission of offenses such as robberies, you know, such as, you know, these uh, assaulting um, interventions and so on. So very concerning. Uh, Paul, I share your overall concerns. I'm not going to get into the politics of legal possession, but the bottom line is our officers are seeing more guns on the street. And uh, through our Drugs and Firearms Unit and our Major Crime Unit, we're doing everything we can to intervene, interject, and oftentimes it's organized crime. Oftentimes it's people with a plan uh, to carry out an offense of some kind, and uh, it's at the top of our list for our crime suppression efforts. So we are seeing more, because I was curious about this too, Mark. I mean, when you hear about an incident like this, obviously it's concerning, then you think, well, this is happening all the time, but there is a greater frequency. These incidents are happening more. So the 2022, there were 25 shootings, and then we were down last year to 18. But, I mean, one is too many, right? And so when we look at the last five years, and I think that's the most important statistic, is to say it's been an average of 19 a year. So, I mean, that's where we start to get into, this is a consistent trend we're seeing across Waterloo Region in the past five years. 
And um, they're all different kinds of um, occurrences. You know, as I mentioned, some of them are where people are purposely struck. And sometimes we're seeing, uh, I would say, an act of intimidation or just overt violence where people are shooting into a residence or into a building of some kind, um, you know, with purpose to send a message. And that's part of an ongoing altercation of some kind. So, um, you know, what what is, um, you know, very concerning to me is that when our officers are doing their regular traffic enforcement, very often we're coming upon firearms, real or um, imitation firearms, through the course of our investigations. And those are just traffic stops that our officers are doing um, with highway traffic offenses, and we're coming upon firearms, drugs, um, through the course of investigations. So we've talked about the three of us before, and it's a concerning uh, reality that is occurring not only within this region but across Ontario. All right. Paul, thanks for the question, and thanks for sharing your concern. Let's go uh, next to Scott. Scott, good morning. You're on with Chief Crowell and Staff Sergeant Griffiths. Good morning, Mike. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Um, Paul stole my thunder, but I can pivot. We've known for a long time that the Kitchener-Centerville area has been a hotbed of crime, and yet it's like once a week we see the cops there kicking down a door or doing something. What what do you say to those people in a known crime area um, that you have police there all the time, and yet they may not think, their home is a safe na- in a safe neighborhood. Excellent question, Scott, and uh, thanks for sharing the concern. It is something that we hear about when we identify incidents by neighborhood, Mark. Yeah, th- thanks, Scott, and and we share your concerns where there's any level of violence. You know, I think sometimes people uh, see the police and and they don't always know the reasons why we're there, and we always make our best efforts through our, our social media or media releases to get the information out to explain why we're in, we're in areas and we don't want to stigmatize any particular uh, neighborhood, community across the region. Um, but we also, I would say, use a data-driven approach to our investigations as well. Like uh, we have about a thousand calls uh, per service per day and that's uh, all kinds of calls from the community. That's some of our proactive engagements. That's online reporting. That's our total number of calls for service. Um, and then there's our proactive, preventative, um, ongoing investigative work where we're following uh, trails of intelligence or using information that comes to us through the course of our investigations. And we're often trying to target what we call prolific offenders and prolific offenses, trying to target the highest levels of victimization, um, potential trauma and uh, for the community. And that's often involving weapons, robberies, firearms, break and enters, drug trafficking, all those things that uh, have real uh, impact upon people, neighborhoods, families, and so on. So I appreciate Scott's concerns about uh, what he might be seeing in a neighborhood that is near and dear to him. And we're often often trying to provide that preventative approach where we're um, trying to intervene where we can to disrupt, you know, uh, things that are really concerning for neighborhoods. And oftentimes we have uh, great cooperation from neighborhoods, community groups, leaders in communities who are stepping forward, identifying for us things that need to be addressed. And then we work on community plans. But it's really important that we don't just come in, do our work and leave. There's often a follow-up um, work that is really important for us to, to ensure that people understand uh, for whatever we can share um, in terms of public information about why we're there, what we're doing, and to explain to people um, how we're trying to make them safer and how they can help us do so. 
forgive me because I forget the exact title, but is it Neighborhood Liaison Officer? Something along those lines. I remember because many years ago we were having a rash of break-ins in our neighborhood. I was advised to speak to this I thought neighborhood liaison officer at the most recent or the most uh, the closest detachment, and and I did that, and we had a conversation. Like, is there a is there an officer or a department dedicated to those sorts of partnerships with different communities to help in a situation like this? Yeah, so I mean, we have so many different specialized teams, and one area we have is called community engagement and well being, and so our community engagement officers are oftentimes dealing with. What, what I would describe as more chronic, ongoing um, type of, you know, neighborhood issues. Sometimes it's an individual. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a rash of, of things that aren't just a single occurrence. It's things that impact neighborhoods, communities uh, on, a, on a, a basis that requires us to not only uh, respond from a police perspective, but also bring community supports to help communities out. And so that's the power of collaboration. That's the power of the community policing model that we're trying to move forward. So we do have officers dedicated to continued outreach and working with community partners. Uh, We have something that's been in place for many years called the Situation Table, where people across the community from organizations bring cases and people forward that uh, require an all-of-community and holistic approach. And so that's some of the work that... uh, is long-standing. It happens uh, over the course of weeks and months sometimes where we have habitual issues that we need, not just police response, but other agencies, organizations, and people to uh, help us to solve issues, uh, hopefully um, in a really proactive and healthy way. All right, Scott, thanks for sharing that concern and for calling in during our opportunity to speak to police leaders in the community. Phone lines open at 519-570-2545, star 570 one 800 We are in studio with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell and Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths. Obviously, there are concerns in the community. Gun violence, a smash-and-grab robbery at Fairview Park Mall last night. The weather's bad enough today, but even before the weather came, Regional Police have been dealing with a number of pedestrian vehicle collisions in the community. So you can have your questions answered with our police leaders during Ask the Chief. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass, always makes sure we have the music of Sting and the police when police are in studio with us. Chief Mark Crowell, Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, and you with your opportunity to have policing questions answered by our police leaders. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. We'll go right back to the phones and Jim Good morning. It's your turn. Uh, good morning. I'm not sure if this is an uncharted territory or not, but um, I, I wanted to ask about the um, what what a lot of people would view as hypocrisy and how you know policing across Canada uh, treated the convoy truckers versus the Palestinian protests. Big, big political thing. I can appreciate you want to stay away from it. Um, so I'll let you think about that for a second. And, and secondly. Um, I really believe that until we start running society properly the way we used to, um, I, I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Desperate despair, desperation, unemployment, um, you know, people are anxious about the world. 
the crime is just going to get worse. And recruitment down, I'm pretty sure it would be. Um, and these are things that, you know, the, the chief of police, uh, uh, Sir Mr. Crowell, um, I know you're newer to the position, but your position is sort of a political one, and you have to communicate to the, the powers that be. And I think you've got to put some pressure on them to get back to, you know, the, our policies that we're working for 100 years that we've kind of abandoned, that is my point. Uh, thanks for listening. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling. And, uh, Mark, this, is, this does speak, I think, directly to your role. I think politics are involved in everything. And Jim is obviously coming at this from a very law and order perspective. But I'll leave it to you for thoughts. Sure. I'll, I'll just hit his first point about um, last few years we've seen uh, an incredible rise in, I would say, public demonstrations, rallies, protests. So think back to the vaccines that he mentioned, the truck convoy, and then locally, we've seen an unprecedented rise in, uh, you know, protests related to the Middle East and so on. And I can't speak for the entire province or the entire nation. I can say, though, we've learned a lot and we've mobilized our efforts uh, locally to treat all these incidents with as much, um, you know, dignity uh, for all those looking to exercise their democratic rights to to gather into protests. And I can just say I'm very proud of the efforts we've made locally to allow people that space um, but public safety um, is the top priority. And so uh, our local intervention is trying to, um, you know, allow people that uh, that space and, and right to gather. But when it comes to counter protests, when it comes to occupying and disrupting traffic, other public spaces, um, you know, the, the bleeding edge of, of rights infringing upon each other. I'm proud of the work that we do to intervene um, beforehand, during, and even after protests to ensure that uh, we're keeping everybody safe and f- trying to find that balance. So I understand that public perception is what it is sometimes when you're looking at incidents in other jurisdictions. And um, I can tell you um, this point in the year, Toronto Police Service has had 300 protests related to the Middle East uh, situation. And so on an everyday basis, they are... Um, exhausting all efforts to keep everybody and everybody surrounding these rallies and protests safe. It's hard work. And oftentimes police are drawn into no-win situations where public perception is going to swing one way or the other in terms of how people are treated. Uh, When it comes to uh, pressures, I can say that uh, with the Canadian Association of Chiefs, the Ontario Association, we are mobilized. We are um, in conversation on a weekly, monthly basis on top priorities. And when it comes to pressure for things we need to change from a policy, legislation, advocacy standpoint, we're doing the work. Um, we're working well with government, uh, things like bail reform, things like um, safer borders, firearms legislation. Uh, these things are controversial, but for us, it comes down to um, just stemming the tide of violence in our community. And so there's, there's I would say, um, if there's anything that's hopeful for me to Jim and anyone listening is uh, the level of cooperation and coordination uh, of Canadian police leaders and Ontario police leaders is at uh, its best right now. And we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot through troubling polarizing, dynamic times, but we're coordinated and we're trying to make best efforts uh, to enhance public safety. And that takes an all-of-community approach, and we work with every level of government to make that happen. And so I remain optimistic, and uh, we'll continue to work hard. All right, Jim, thanks for the question, and to you, Mark, for the the fulsome answer there. Uh, I have an email question, Scott, that'll come in your direction, although I recognize that Highway 78 is not regional jurisdiction, right? That's provincial. That's right. Uh, What the uh, emailer is asking, though, the inner lane or leftmost lane is the passing lane, so should a vehicle not be in that lane unless they are passing? 
that's the general direction that they're given in regards to uh, when you have multiple lanes. The leftmost lane is traditionally used for passing or moving past slower vehicles in the middle lane, and you're supposed to move over to the right once you're completed that pass and continue on. Um, a tradition or a habit has been in this province and around uh, other parts of the province that that uh, that's not the case. Uh, we don't quite have the same discipline in this province that we do that other jurisdictions do, such as Germany or Europe in general, where because of the super high speeds they have on some of their expressways, it's sort of a necessity more than a nicety. Um, but it is traditionally what uh, the uh, the emailer is saying. And then he, he goes on to ask about any road that has two lanes in one direction, so a Weber, a Westmount. I don't know that would be practical, but the left lane is still supposed to be for the quote-unquote faster-moving traffic. When the limit's only 60, I don't know what we're going to do there, but... Yeah, I would hesitate to declare any lane on Weber or any two-lane road within the region that's uh, below expressway speeds uh, a passing lane because really, in reality, that's uh, that's uh, encouraging a, a behavior that I'm not uh, I'm not going to endorse here. Uh, what I will say is is that if you're a slower moving vehicle, if it's something that uh, if you wish to travel at a slower speed or or you wish to travel, you're looking to turn off or to make a, a change a movement. Uh, to stay in the right lane because obviously, oftentimes making those movements across multiple lanes can just add a level of complexity that you don't want. Yeah, and I love what you said there about if you're going to be making a maneuver or looking to turn off. I remember from Young Drivers of Canada way back in the late 1980s, plan ahead. So when you're on a road and you know a few blocks down you're going to be making your maneuver, get into the necessary lane to not have to cut across lanes when the time comes. Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my key pieces of advice when it comes to the pedestrian uh, crash uh, situation is I lead time, and that was something I learned uh, as at driving school, which was when weather conditions are poor, when lighting conditions are poor, when situations are more busy, you have to increase your eye lead, not decrease it. You want to look farther down the road, looking for hazards, looking for where you're just sup- supposed to get off the roadway or turn off or stop so that... If there is an adverse uh, situation, such as, such as a pedestrian stepping off uh, onto the roadway or there's something happening, there's ice on the road, you have that reaction time. Oftentimes, because of distractions, our eye lead is dropped down to almost to the front of our hood almost so that we're, on, we're reacting to something that's already there. Right. Great point on the eye lead. Okay, and one more part of this email, and it's one of my favorites. So let's assume that we've got two vehicles coming to the same intersection and their light is green so they've got permission to continue straight through but they're both turning one's making a left one's making a right and they're turning onto a two-lane road so there's a curb lane and there's an outside lane does one of those vehicles have a right of way or can they both make their turn simultaneously so the HTA specifies that when you're making a turn from one lane to another lane, that you're supposed to make it to the lane that's closest to yours. So if you are making a left-hand turn, you're supposed to make the turn into the left-most lane. Uh, and and on the other side of that, when you're making a right-hand turn, you're supposed to make it to the one that's closest to you, most adjacent to you. So it would be right-hand lane to right-hand lane. So conceivably, you could both make the turn safely by driving in the lane that you're supposed to. But given the size of vehicles, given the type of vehicles we have in the, on our roadways, we can't expect a semi-trailer to make a narrow right turn, or we can't expect a 
a very wide or or have a very wide vehicle to not encroach upon one lane or another when they're turning. So it's always a matter of judgment and keeping your eyes up and knowing what's around you. Yeah. You know, my eyes are up for, I don't care if it's a Honda Civic. I'm not making that turn at the same time because I don't trust the person to stay in the curb lane anymore. But that's just me. (laughs) That's just me. Okay. Thanks for the email to Mike at 570news.com. We'll go back to the phones. Uh, Don, good morning. Uh, Good morning. I've never heard this really explained anywhere, but I'm wondering about uh, school crosswalks, not at an intersection, but just right in the middle of, you know, a street, you know, just a crosswalk to a school, and it's not at an intersection. Now, with <clears throat> when the crossing guard's there, I know he has his <clears throat> sign up, people are to stop, but what if <clears throat> just during the regular or even the summer break there, <clears throat> people see the school crosswalk and, and think possibly that they have the right of way to walk on, into traffic? What is the do they or don't they, and what's the, what's the deal on that? Thanks for the call, Don. And uh, there's a lot of rules in regards, in regards to what type of intersections you're talking about. So there's pedestrian crossovers, uh, there's school crossing areas, um, there are intersections, obviously, and there's some of the that used to some of the intersections used to have the flashing lights. So, so what I would say to you is, in in most cases, the safest thing to do would be if there's a pedestrian waiting at a crossover. Uh, that if at all possible to try to uh, facilitate that by coming to a stop and letting them cross and making other drivers alert, obviously coming to a, a slowing to a stop. Um, if it's mid, if it's mid uh, intersection, so it's not at an intersection or it's not, um, it's a little bit more complicated. So you'll have to be a little bit more conscious of, of what's around you. You don't want to wave somebody on and then have the car beside you drive through and hit them as well, which happens in a lot of situations. Um, but I would say in most cases, if it's possible and safe to do so, I would, I would let the pedestrians cross, even though there isn't a, a signal person like a, like a crossing guard. Uh, if there is a crossing guard or there are signals, if it's a signalized intersection, like we have at some pedestrian crossovers, uh, you are to obey the signal that's flashing. So if it's flashing, you are to come to a stop and to permit those people to cross. And that could be flashing on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of July. Very correct. Yeah. yeah. Don, great question, though, and thanks for bringing it forward. Andre, good morning. Good morning. Let's go Rangers. <laughs> yes, we're all Rangers fans here. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, but I have to slip one more in. Happy birthday, Carson Rake off Sunday. <laughs> Okay. Andre, do you have a question for Chief Kroll or Staff Sergeant Griffiths? Of course. I'm okay. going to go in a penalty box. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, so I, what I want to say is, uh, first is, from what I heard from this show, is on New Year's Eve, we were out a lot. We've seen a lot of uh, police garb um, around. And the news mentioned that there was only one arrest for drink and driving, correct? Uh, I think there was more, but uh, ride statistics, Scott, I don't know if you have them handy, but... I don't have them with me, but I can tell you that we stopped over 8,000 vehicles during the festive ride program. Um, We were successful in the sense that we had uh, some three-day suspensions. We did not have arrests at the ride programs. I can tell you that there was uh, far more than one arrest for impaired driving over the course of the month, Um, and perhaps there may have been one only on New Year's Eve, but... uh, I can tell you that uh, our operations in preventing uh, impaired driving go well beyond our festive ride programs. So you'll see us stopping vehicles on the festive ride program other times of the year, like Super Bowl or St. Patrick's Day or any other kind of special event. We're out there with static uh, ride programs. We're stopping vehicles in a row. We're checking vehicles, each one as it comes through, 
that's what you're most traditionally used to seeing. But our officers are out there interdicting impaired drivers um, in a mobile way. Our patrol officers are responding and finding impaired drivers. We're getting calls from the public and investigating those. So our uh, our impaired driving numbers, unfortunately, were up last year over 2022. Um, and it's uh, definitely a significant concern for us. Impaired by alcohol, impaired by cannabis. Do we distinguish or just impaired? There's no distinction. So we have... We have the ability in our in our region to address uh, impaired driving by both drug or alcohol or a combination of both. Uh, we've, we've been very successful the past year of uh, of prosecuting and interdicting drug impaired driving. Uh, we rely a lot on the public's input, so we get calls to our dispatch center about uh, possible impaired drivers. We investigate, and all of our officers on the road are not are trained to not just look for. For alcohol, they're trained to look for drugs and alcohol. And if we are finding them, we are we are prosecuting them, and we are uh, very successful at uh, finding outcomes for that. I'm glad to hear we're successful at finding those outcomes because one one thing that really chafes my chaps is impaired driving. It has for years and years. I appreciate all the work that our officers do in that regard. Thanks for the question, Andre. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more. Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell, Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, with us in studio during Ask the Chief, part of the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Time flies when you have a lot of questions for your police leaders, and that seems to be the case today. Uh, Final minutes here with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell and Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths. We'll get right back to the phones so you can have your questions answered. Nathan, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I have some questions about the speed cameras in the school zones. Um, do these cameras uh, operate uh, 24-7 as in like closed-circuit TV, or are they only activated when there's a sense of uh, someone going over the speed limit? Nathan, uh, thank you for the call. Uh, just to clarify, do you mean like they activate when they see a speeder or they're constantly scanning Cor- for something? Correct. Are they constantly uh, in an on-record mode, or is it only if someone is speeding through the area? Well, they're they're looking. There's a radar device that's installed inside the camera itself okay. that uh, is reading every uh, vehicle. It's on constantly reading every vehicle's speed as it comes through. Like it gives it a numerical number, and if there's a depending on, and this is a regional responsibility, so I couldn't tell you what they're set at, but when it reaches a threshold uh, that uh, the camera, that the radar is set at, the camera will activate and take a picture. Okay. I I just feel that it's a little bit overkill with how many cameras they do want to bring in. I think it would make more sense if these cameras could be a little more mobile. Uh, Say you could have them in one school area uh, for a week or two and then, you know, a quick connect uh, and move it to another area. So we could maybe have, you know, 25 cameras instead of the 100 and uh, whatever amount of cameras. It also helped keep people on their toes. And you'd have signage up in these areas saying may be enforced, uh, just like the aircraft uh, patrol on the highways where you may be speed monitored via aircraft. Nathan, it's a great point to bring forward. And and I thank you for that, because I I think you talked Scott, about this is a regional uh, initiative, so our regional government will set the threshold, etc. Can you explain the partnership with regional police and what role WRPS will be playing in this, if any at all? 
so we don't we don't have an active uh, involvement in the operation and the installation and otherwise management of the ASE program. Um, you know, I sit along with other partners in my at the service. We sit with regional uh, leaders or regional uh, staff in an effort to reduce speeds and reduce injuries and in, in school zones. And that's the the overarching priority is to ensure that we are uh, giving our students the most uh, safest environment that we can to get to and from school. So. Um, the priority was determined by the regional council to install cameras uh, throughout the region at, in school zones. Um, the region administers the program and administers the fines, and, and we don't have any involvement on a day-to-day basis with them. We do provide whatever whatever advice or guidance that they request of us, but um, all in all, we we are simply part of the uh, the group that supports safer schools for everybody. All right. Thank you for that response and explanation on that. Let's go next to uh, Brenda. Brenda, good morning. You're on with Chief Crowell, Staff Sergeant Griffiths. Good morning uh, to all of you there. I want to address Chief. Uh, I've seen documentaries, quite a few, on W5 about these ghost guns that are coming across the border and they're even being mailed and they have a a video disc on how to assemble assemble them and everything, and it's quite informative. These uh, reports on W five are you gaining control over these ghost guns that are coming in because they can't be traced? All right, Brenda, thanks for that call and question. Thanks, Brenda, and you're matching my comments earlier in the program. Just the overall concern about um, the total number of firearms that are available, so illegal firearms, uh, those that are you know, legally possessed, but also imitation firearms. And now we have this new, um, you know, sort of frightening era of ghost guns, <clears throat> those that can be um, assembled through uh, basically kits and instructions where people can assemble them from multiple sources. And also 3D printed guns is the new um, sort of example of ways that people can fabricate firearms. Uh, they do have some limitations and some of them are fully functional firearms and so I can say that we are working with our provincial and national uh, counterparts across public safety, uh, national provincial levels um, to do everything we can to thwart, you know, uh, the influx of those who might, might be coming across the border, primarily through points of entry um, and also with the working with uh, at a legislative level on um, just this new era that we're in where people can um, provide information across uh, open source across the dark web, and they're um, providing you know instructions on new ways to create weapons. And so, um, much like our work on the drug uh, frontiers in terms of the, the trafficking and availability of new forms of drugs, new forms of weapons are something that we're certainly focused on. And Brenda, your concerns uh, are shared with us, and we're working as best we can with our counterparts across Canada uh, to uh, to thwart this type of uh, activity. All right. Just before I let you gentlemen get back to your day's work, uh, we're not going to be able to get to every call. So I just I also want to touch briefly, Mark, on the number of residential break ins we've been seeing. I saw a notification from police not too long ago. Are these neighborhood specific or is it residences in general that we need to be aware of? You know, people are looking to break in. Yeah. So we've had, um, you know, as of the first couple of weeks of uh, the new year, uh, five residential break-ins uh, involving homes that are on to green space areas and uh, uh, basically uh, rear entry uh, to the home through a smashed uh, sliding glass door and that sort of thing. So uh, the areas identified were Gore Road in North Dumfries Township, West Mountain Pioneer, 
Town uh, West and Deer Ridge area in Kitchener, Bridgeport North and Waterloo and Fiddlesticks area in Cambridge. And so um, we have seen in the past uh, sometimes organized crime groups that are approaching a door, posing as potentially delivery um, type of uh, you know service, and then they're going around to the back and uh, gaining entry through uh, a, a glass door where they're smashing through the windows. So our break enter in vehicle theft team is certainly looking for trends, looking to identify and provide awareness for anyone uh, who, who might be um, you know subject to to this victimization. And we're reminding people, you know, there is a, certainly things that they can do to lock all their doors and windows. Even when you're in the home, I think it's a smart thing to do. Garage doors, keeping those those closed, ensuring valuables are locked in a location. You know, if people want to enhance security through their own surveillance system, it's something we certainly encourage. Um, common lighting, you know, whether you're in the home or, or not in the home, uh, whether you're occupied or not. And reporting any suspicious activity to us. And just for some context, we have seen some, um, the last couple of years, some concerted efforts by our members. So last year in 2023, about 1,000 break and enters across the region. Um, that was down from about 1,100 in 2022. And then the five-year average before that was 1,400 a year. So this is one of our top uh, areas of concern in crime suppression where we're trying to drive down and intervene. We've had some success, but every break-in is dramatic and it's one too many and we're doing everything we can to... Uh, to intervene and uh, community cooperation helps us a lot. All right. I appreciate those updates and uh, all, as always, all of the time that you give us here on the show. Gentlemen, we'll do it again next month. Let's say, well, uh, same time, same place, okay? Absolutely. Regional Police Chief Mark Kroll, Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, joining us on the first Tuesday of every month between 11 and noon for Ask the Chief. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out of sight. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't talk back. But please do, in fact, talk back. If you don't, it's going to be a pretty quiet hour. This is your 12 o'clock talk back hour, your daily opportunity to call in and tell us what's on your mind. If something's making you upset, if something's making you happy, if you want to give a shout-out, as Waterloo City Councillor Julie Wright just did via social media, to our plow operators and the rest of our municipal employees who are keeping roads clear and other areas clear for passage today, by all means, shout them right out. Councillor Wright... And Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe did the old snowplow ride along today. I wonder when they planned this, just out of curiosity. Like, did they plan it back in September, October, and now they've just been waiting and waiting and waiting because winter is finally here. And for you outdoor enthusiasts, I know winter is finally here, right? I'm no expert when it comes to the snow required for a good ski run. But I I think this heavier, wet stuff is not ideal. However, as much as I dislike the weather, and I'm not a big fan of winter, I am happy for our friends at Chicopee and elsewhere who are counting 
on some kind of winter weather. It sounds like, and we were speaking earlier today uh, with a meteorologist from Environment Canada, this is really just the beginning. We've got another fairly significant five-plus centimeters of snow expected later in the week. So it sounds like winter is settling in, and it'll likely stay a while now that it's here. And frankly, it's January the 9th. It should be here by now, shouldn't it? All right, your 12 o'clock talk back hour to talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Maybe you're just in the mood for a conversation. We can fill that need. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Something caught my ear this morning that I wanted to share with you. Stephen McKinnon has been sworn in as our new government house leader here in Canada. Uh, McKinnon assumes the role because Karina Gould has left for a parental leave. And and I thought that Stephen McKinnon's comments to reporters after having been sworn in were interesting, were noteworthy, because we've been talking about this for quite some time. And frankly, I'm wondering when we're done talking about it and we're actually going to get around to doing it. And that is behaving better on our national political stage because Stephen McKinnon seems to think that we can do better when it comes to our decorum in the House of Commons and elsewhere. We are in a minority. We, we will always work with opposition parties to move forward with our legislation. I actually think we've uh, moved ahead with a number of very, very significant pieces of legislation uh, last year uh, throughout 2023 and into the fall um, including some significant budgetary provisions so these things uh, will continue to move ahead we will continue to find as we must as is our responsibility uh, try to find common ground with our friends uh, on the opposition benches and we continue to stretch out our hand for uh, this uh, for for any suggestions they might have what we won't tolerate though is opposition without alternative Opposition without alternative is just obstruction. Uh, and obstruction leads to 30-hour vote marathons. And I think Canadians, quite rightly, throw up their hands at these kinds of uh, tactics that uh, sometimes the opposition throws in our path. We're very determined, and we have a lot of important things to accomplish for Canadians. And we only ask that our friends uh, across the way uh, come to this with the same sense of importance. At times, uh, I would agree that the climate and the atmosphere inside the House of Commons is not one that you would recommend to people as a workplace. Um, and we can do better. There's no question we can do better. It's a question of will, though. I only uh, help control a, por- a part of that. Um, other parties must adapt their behaviours to what they see fit. I can only say that um, for our part, the Liberal Party will continue to um, exercise restraint when it comes to tactics in the House of Commons and be willing to compromise when it comes to some of the fundamental decisions that are before us. And that is Stephen McKinnon just sworn in as our government house leader. And yeah, maybe it's not the kind of working environment you would recommend to somebody. Maybe, just maybe politicians behave badly and we could do better according to Stephen McKinnon look this is the stuff of a minority parliament to some degree right and our system is set up such that the opposition's job is to do simply that to oppose but 
I think we have really slid. Like we have taken a, a pretty big mother may I sort of step backwards here when it comes to decorum and civility overall. And and maybe it becomes a case of if you can't be civil in the House of Commons, why are we going to be civil on a talk radio station based in Kitchener, for example? We're going to do our best, though, and we do a pretty good job here. It's rare. You know, rare are the days that we butt heads and do not get along here on the show. So take advantage of the 12 o'clock talk back like Peter has. We say good afternoon to Peter. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak. Um, I want to give a shout about the fact that so many shopping carts get taken away from grocery stores, left all around the city, they get lost, they end up in creeks, they get banged up by snow plows. All of those shopping carts cost the grocery stores a lot of money, like $150 each or more. So you better believe that for all those shopping carts that get lost, that's another excuse for them to add to our grocery bills. And I want to give a shout out to all the people that diligently return their carts to where they're supposed to go. Peter, that is an excellent call. And I thank you very much for making it. You want to talk about one of those little things that chafes my chaps? I mentioned this during our hour with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell and Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, obviously impaired driving, but that's like a big thing, right? That's a really big and dangerous thing. When we get down to the things where you might accuse me of picking a nit, and litter will always be first and foremost for me, I've never understood, I've never understood how fast food bags, candy wrappers, whatever, end up on the ground. Look, sometimes things happen. They fall out of pockets, whatever the case may be. But I've always maintained that at one point, that what became garbage was in your possession. So what makes you think it's okay to just toss it out of your hand or out of your vehicle onto my sidewalk, for example? And and I use my as the community's sidewalk. Peter is spot on in this regard when it comes to the shopping carts. I feel exactly the same. I remember many moons ago when those shopping carts began to get those wheel locks on them. So if you tried to wheel them out of the parking lot, the wheels would lock up. I I don't know if that prevents some from being taken. It, It probably does, at least some. But then, of course, they'll just be those particular carts discarded at the edge of the parking lot or whatever the case may be. How on earth we don't return the cart to the cart corral in the parking lot is beyond comprehension to me. It it, it truly is. Sure, you may not have parked right next to the cart corral, and who really does that anyway because they would be worried, I know I do, about getting your car dinged, right? You're just increasing the chances of a little ding or a nick or a scratch in your car if you're too close to the cart corral because all those carts are going to be going past your car. So you park somewhere else in the parking lot, you wheel your shopping cart back to your car, and then what? You just leave your cart there? What's the matter with you? Like, honest to goodness gracious, what is the matter with you? Put it back in the ding-dang cart corral. That's why it's there. And it takes you, what, 10 seconds, 15 a total of 30 seconds, 
15 from your car to the corral, 15 seconds back into your car. And you can't do this. You can't do this. Peter, you hit the nail right on the head and uncovered one of my pettiest of pet peeves. Well done, sir. Well done. Jocelyn, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Over to you. Good afternoon. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I just was overhearing Peter, and I think what all grocery stores should do around here is what they do at No Frills and Mount Forest is make you put either a quarter or a loonie in the cart, and uh, then the chain comes out of the handle, you put the loonie in, and you take it around, and you don't get your loonie back until you put it back in the cart corral, and the chain from the cart ahead of you clips into the cart you have, and then your loonie pops out. I'm all for it. I know that ha- that's that's in place in some areas, isn't it? I've seen it that is, before. To do it everywhere. Yeah, I do it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you made some good changes in your show. I'm I'm really liking the fact that you got different music for each segment. No offense, but I'm not a Rush fan. But when I uh, when I was listening last Monday when you started your music, like your uh, show with different Rush music, I actually thought you were on holidays because normally if you don't play Rush, that means that you're not there. So I actually thought you were <laughs> off last week. So the fact that you're changing that up, that's I really like that. So good job. But my main reason that I was calling was, I think it was last Friday, uh, 11.30 segment, you were talking about um, apartment buildings or parking lots that are going to have apartment buildings over them or something. Yes. And you had a caller, I forget what his name was, but he called in and was talking and saying, no, there's no apartment buildings that have underground parking under them. Or It was something like that anyway. And I just wanted to call in and say, well, Gary and I live downtown Kitchener. We actually have underground parking under our apartment building. So there are buildings like that that do exist. They just have a, um, they have an exhaust fan system in the parking garage where we are. But our, our building is literally built on two parking garages. So they do exist. All right, Jocelyn, I appreciate the call. I remember that conversation too, and I, I don't think that is... Exactly. The, what the, the caller's concern, if I'm remembering correctly, was about all of the uh, exhaust from vehicles in the parking lot permeating the building. And then I brought up, well, what about underground parking? And to your point, with the exhaust fans that exist, that's probably why it's not an issue within the buildings that have underground parking. But I don't think anybody said there were no buildings with underground parking because clearly we know that underground parking uh, exists in, in many buildings in this community and elsewhere. And and to the point of the conversation, I still think that the housing, building housing over parking idea is a good one. And Regional Councillor Pam Wolf, who was our guest during that segment last Friday, is bringing forward a motion to her Regional Council colleagues, I believe it's January the 19th, uh, but to have the region explore parking lots or other lands where it could build housing on or over the existing land. And I will I will bet you, I'm not sure if I said this last Friday or not, but I'll I'll bet you a shiny nickel that the motion will pass unanimously at regional council. It got shot down in a five to four vote in Cambridge, and there has been much disappointment registered with that. I think when it comes to the region, you are going to see unanimous support of the motion from Pam Wolf when it does come forward on uh, January the 19th. We'll take a quick break, come back with more of your 12 o'clock talk back hour. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
I'm not going to start talking back to the computers in here in a second, okay? Honest to goodness gracious. Just a little snow there, computers. You're safe inside. You can operate at normal operating speeds if it's not too much trouble for you. Hey, it's 12 o'clock talk back hour. Oh, goodness gracious. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. That's what my friend Don Cameron used to say. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. The 12 o'clock talk back is the hour of open lines that you get every day. So you can have your say on the issues of the day, something that's on your mind. Maybe you're just up for a conversation. Let's go. Kyle, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, first of all, Mary, I don't have any frozen tomatoes, but I got salsa, frozen homemade salsa, and tomato sauce. So if she wants either of those, they're up. All right. Mary, one of our other regular callers, back from Myrtle Beach, called earlier and said, if Kyle's listening... Let them know I'll take some frozen tomatoes. I don't want to know about you and Mary and the frozen tomatoes, but you've got you're salsa. Like middleman, eh? I am the middleman. <laughs> hey, I, I, got, I got a question on you. What do you think of that Nylander contract? You know, $11.5 million, nine, uh, you know, $92 million in his eight years. Do you really think it's worth it for Toronto to do that? And what do you think Marner's going to do on that? Right? If they're coming up to a contract. Do you think that they should be really paying that much for four forwards no i don't but i i can't even like i i don't even know what to say about it kyle like it obviously hasn't worked yet it hasn't proven to be a successful formula yet but i I, so why toronto keeps going down this road i have not the foggiest but good for nylander good for him no i mean trust me if I was, what is he, 27 years old? Yes, sir. Uh, you know, $92 million in, in, my, in those eight years, I'd be, I'd be running to the bank, too, into the mall and shopping my, shopping my face off. But, uh, no, I just wanted your take. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's Brendan Shanahan that's doing it. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I just I don't know where you guys should start, to be honest. Like, like do you start? Like, you guys need to build, like, you know, look at the goalie. Look, at the, look what happened to your Toronto goalie. So, I don't know, Mike. It's a very questionable thing, but good for Nylander. I wish I was twenty-eight million dollars or twenty-eight years old, making you know ninety-two million dollars a year. But thanks, man. That's okay. Yep. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the call. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, now the top four paid players for the Maple Leafs represent sixty percent of their overall salary cap. So how you p- pay the other what nineteen guys with forty percent of the salary cap? I not my circus not my monkeys, but I hope they're successful. And good for Nylander. Good for him. If somebody offered me $92 million, heck, if somebody offered me 92000 over eight years, I might be inclined to take it. What? 11500 a year? I'm in. Uh, Mike, over to you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you today? I'm just fine, thank you. How are you? Um, I'd just like to relay an experience I've had. Unfortunately, I'm having some health issues again. Uh, I have some specialists in Toronto, right? Um, and they sent me down to here to get an IV started here at St. Mary's Hospital a few weeks back. Uh, they sent me down with a package of all the tests that I had done, uh, which were numerous, down at my specialist hospital in Toronto. And because I had elder care issues, they said, uh, we need you to get an IV inserted down in uh, Kitchener to help facilitate your treatment. You know what they did, Mike? What'd they do? There was 40, 50 people in that waiting room at St. Mary's, right? You know, I couldn't believe this, right? If you want to reduce wait times, 
my specialists and the results of all my tests were done in Toronto. They made me redo all the tests at St. Mary's that I had done in Toronto, x-rays and a whole bunch of other stuff, because the results, which were documented and shipped in a package with me to St. Mary's, were not good enough. They have to do it there. What a waste of time and resources. I spent nine hours there. That's ridiculous, Mike. And then the next day, I showed up uh, because they couldn't get a community care person to give me an IV. And guess what they wanted to do again? They wanted to rerun the whole test over again. And I told my doctor in, in Toronto, the specialist, he said, tell him to go pound salt. <laughs> what a waste of time and money. Like, Mike, redoing x-rays, bone scans, and a whole bunch of other tests for absolutely nothing when I had them done a day before. That's ridiculous. Mike, I appreciate the call. I'm I'm sorry to hear it. If if I may be so glib as to remind you, don't worry about it because Dalton McGinty's bringing in e-health. I mean, those records should seamlessly transfer from one hospital to another, right? Exactly. We're up against the clock. We'll take a break, get you an update from the City News Centre, and then we continue with your 12 o'clock talk back. It's all part of the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. And we continue with your 12 o'clock talk back for this Tuesday, the 9th of January. You may have heard Jocelyn earlier this hour saying she likes some of the changes that she's been hearing on the show. I know change can be difficult, but really the changes here have been all cosmetic for the most part. One of the biggest, quite frankly, is this hour. Management said what we need to create is a consistent space instead of you know, an hour on Monday and half an hour on Wednesday and a different hour on Friday. You need to just put it all in one place and build that consistency so folks know when they can call in and talk to you. It's just for a conversation if you want, or it gives you the opportunity to get something off your chest. Let people know what it is that you see in need of fixing. We'll fix it for you. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Bob, you're on the 12 o'clock talk back. Hey, Mike. Hello, Bob. When I phoned him the last time, you asked, what am I going to do if Trump got in and Pierre got in? Yes. I just phone more often and talk to you. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, it's going to be a big year for me then. I just said, Warren, you're maybe you could, you know, prepare for it. Listen, I love hearing from you, Bob. I just wish you'd bring me something different sometime, but it's always the same, Bob. Well, I could say that Trump's got three, three sixes on him somewhere. He's got what, sorry? Three sixes on him somewhere. Uh, three sixes? Three sixes. Oh, oh, right. Like the the sign of the devil. I'm sorry. But see, that's what I mean. Like, it's always something like Doug Ford's bad and Pierre Polyev's bad and Donald Trump's bad, which is fine. But, you know, like anything else? Anything else at all? Oh, hey, hey Mike, has Ford been great? Has Ford been great? Yeah. No. No. Has Trudeau been great? 
Casey, screw it up. I, I, I said that a few times. Oh, okay. I like him better than conservatives. I, I get that. You're an ABC guy. Sometimes. That's what I did with Harper. Only was ABS. Anybody but Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bob. Thanks for the call. Always good to hear from you and hear which conservative politician you're upset with this time. I'm, I'm here for it. Terry, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Uh, happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. Were you just referring to Bob as uh, one of the Jackson Five? Oh, with the ABC? ABC. No. <laughs> For his case, anybody but conservative. But well played, sir. Well played. Right. Anyway, Mike, going back to what uh, Kyle was saying about the Leafs, um, it depends how you look at it. Um, are, are there intention to, to win playoff rounds and win cups? I would hope so. Well, but they have no depth. Like you said, they're spending 60% of their salary cap on, on four players. And if you add Morgan Riley, he's making close to $10 million. I think he's around eight cap hit anyway with his salary. So you're looking at about 70% for five players. So that leaves 30% for 15. And uh, basically all they have to fill out the roster would be the the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. And, <laughs> and, and they get, you know, like even their goaltender, they got Martin Jones. They, they picked him up from the scrap heap of another team. I mean, he, he hasn't been relevant ever. He was a San Jose years ago, but even then. Uh, I mean, are they going to sell a lot of hats and, and, and jerseys and stuff like that with uh, William Nylander signing? Probably. You know, do you remember Al Davis, the old uh, owner of the... Absolutely, uh, the I do. The Raiders, yeah. Do you remember what his statement was, uh, commitment to excellence? Mm, I can't say as I do. You don't remember that? You know, win, baby, win, commitment to excellence and all that stuff. Um, well, the Leafs have, they should, their slogan should be commitment to profitability. How's that? I mean, you got to admit, they, they, they know what they're doing. It's just, uh, are they going to win any championships with a roster like that? I, I think the John Tavares contract was a horrible contract. And then they added a no-trade clause to it because they're stuck with him for seven years. they got another year after this year. And they can't trade him, and, and uh, he's a second-line player. I mean, he's, uh, he's he's just slightly under one point a game for a career. So is he worth uh, that kind of money? I, I think Austin Matthews is. Uh, Marner definitely is. <laughs> William Nylander, I mean, by the time that contract's towards the end, he's going to be, like, in his mid-30s. Is he going to be as, as uh, you know productive as he is today? Probably not. So I think it's uh, – I don't even know. Was that a no-trade clause that they signed him to, you know, Mike? Yes, it was. Okay, so there you go. So they're going to be stuck with him for eight years, and uh, it, it just makes you wonder, like, uh, where where are they going to fill out rosters? I mean, look, Vegas last year won the Cup, and uh, they don't have any superstars on that team. It's it's just a combination of uh, players that they can get the best out of. Jack Jack Eichel, what is he, 60 points last year, and he was the highest scorer on that team. So, So are you suggesting, Terry, that nobody associated with management and the corporation that is essentially the Toronto Maple Leafs cares one bit about winning hockey games, winning championships? All they care about is generating revenue. Is that your I, argument? Well, I'll put it to you this way, Mike. I think they would love to win, but it's not a priority with that ownership group. Uh, I think they 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 like they like greener pastures better. They like they like the the green as opposed to the silver. Uh, everybody would love to win, but it depends where your priorities are, Mike. Then why have they been so futile over the last twenty or so years? Listen, Terry, I can't. I I certainly can't answer that, but I will tell you that it, it like I I will I will argue all day. Anybody 
connected to this business. Like, I, I understand your argument, and, and I think you make sense. I, I do. And I'm as frustrated as the next person as a Leafs fan, but I, I sincerely believe anybody associated with sports, especially at the professional level, cares and cares deeply about winning. They want to win. They might not be going about it in a good direction at all, but they really want to win. They're not more about money than they are about winning. They're actually trying their damnedest to win. They're just not being successful. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think the front office should just look at themselves. I mean, I, I don't care about the Leafs. It's not the team I root for, but uh, it makes you want to. I feel sorry for the fans. Uh, well, yes and no. Because, yes and no, because you have choices to cheer for other groups, but. Uh, uh, it makes you wonder, like, why has Brandon Shannon been there for 10 years? It, 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 he has very limited success. I mean, it's time to move on. Like, you've had your run. You you, you, you haven't produced, like, in terms of winning, I guess. Uh, I mean, you have great regular seasons, but what does that matter, right? But um, it, it's great. The fans are entertained during the season. You guys, you know, Austin Matthews is a great player, I think. Uh, probably one of the top five in the league, but... But then again, in terms of winning, there just haven't been results. And you have to look at the front office. Or, or, you know, like uh, I think uh, last year the, uh, the Dubas took the pipe, he, the gas pipe. He, he was let go. I think it's time for Brandon Shannon to look in the mirror and say, you know, maybe it's time for me to step aside and, and, and hire somebody else to run this team for, in terms of that. But I think spending 70% of your salary cap on five players is, is not a wise decision. But uh but that's their choice, I guess. But yeah, I hope that uh, that clarifies a little bit my aspect. But, yeah, Kyle, uh, I don't know. I, I know Kyle's not a Leaf fan, but uh, the Nylander uh, contract is a good contract. If you're I just, Terry, to... I just don't know. Like, why, why do you care? It's not your money. What difference does it make? Oh, I, I, I don't care one Okay, day. well, then let's just not care. Okay. Okay, okay. Mike. Okay. Anyway, thanks for listening. Whether you agree or not, that's okay. But uh, anyway, have yourself have yourself a great day. Thanks, Terry. You too. I, five and a half minutes I listened. And with respect, maybe that's a conversation better had with our friends just a little bit up the dial at Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I, I love the Leafs, and we'll, we'll talk about them. I love the Kitchener Rangers. We'll talk about them. Uh, but I don't want to start dissecting everything. It's, it's not really the place... Uh, for this show specifically. But, you know, I, I spent some time working at Sportsnet 590, the fan, and we joked all the time, like we could do 24 hours a day of just Leafs programming, and folks would eat it up, eat it up. It is an incredibly popular topic for sure. Lisa, what topic's on your mind during the 12 o'clock talk back? Hey, Mike. Um, well, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to echo part of what Terry said, but I am a Leafs fan. In fact, I've taken grief for years over my Toronto Maple Leafs license plate. <laughs> nice job. Way to wear it loud and proud, Lisa. Uh, exactly. Well, you know what? I was, I, I'm a small town kid and I, I was brought up to think you cheer for the, the local team and, and we're in Ontario so and we're closest to Toronto so Toronto's the local team, right? So, but, um, but I do kind of echo some of what's been said about like having four players on that team making that much money and then needing to fill out the rest of the roster. I, I, I'm not positive about the, the idea that we'll win a Stanley Cup with this team, even though I love all these guys. And I would love to be able to afford to go to more games, but there is there is some, you know, there's some degree of they're, they're making the money, so it's really not on them to worry about. Like, if they won a Stanley Cup in Toronto... It would be insane. Could you imagine? Could you honestly imagine if that happened? The streets of Toronto would just be, I mean, for, I think it would be 
literally days that, that the people would be partying there. And, um, I mean, I would love to see it. But if you're, if you're a statistics person, you know that no team has ever won the Stanley Cup with, is it two players that are more than more than one player that's making 11 million? There's a statistic about that. So um, having four players that are making that kind of money, I, I don't I don't see it happening as well, much as I would love it to in my lifetime. In fairness, though, the the whole 11 million dollar player era is is pretty new. So I'm not sure how much weight I'd put in that particular statistic. It, no, but it's just getting. I mean, right now we seem to be having some luck with the goaltenders that they've got, but that could change too. And you do need to have, like, there's no I in team, right? You need to make sure that you've got all of the right pieces that are going to be able to carry you through the through the whole playoff series. And do we have that now? I, I mean, I would love to think we do, um, but I'm not sure that, that that's realistic. But, um, I mean, I'm still go Leafs go. So we'll keep hoping. All right, Lisa. Thanks for the call. Listen, I am with you. I am also still very much a Go Leafs Go guy. And I just, I don't know what you want me to tell you about the contract. I I like Willie Nylander. I like Austin Matthews. I like Mitch Marner. I like Morgan Riley. I like John Tavares. I like the Leafs. I like their coach. Uh, And it is, by the way, the five guys. Nylander, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Morgan Riley, who collectively, between the five of them, make 60%. So I misspoke. I thought it was only the four before. It's the top five guys make 60% of the money for the Maple Leafs. So you got to figure out how to sign the other 18 guys with the other 40% of the money. I I don't think this is necessarily a recipe for success either. I don't. All I want to make clear here is they do care. I promise you they care. We may disagree with the path they're taking here, but I guarantee from Brendan Shanahan to Brad Tree Living to Sheldon Keefe to Austin Matthews, every one of them cares just as much as the other about winning not only games but championships. You don't get to this level. You don't even enter this industry sports if you don't care about winning i promise you on that and i will argue that until my very last breath we'll take a break we'll come back with more of the 12 o'clock talk back hour this is the mike farwell show on city news 570 It is 12.51, nine minutes away from one o'clock, an update from the City News Center, and then, yep, I was going to say he had to dust himself off from the snow, but no, he had to wring out his coat and his toque because it's wet and sloppy out there. Now you know with Rob Snow comes up from one until three. Before we get there, we continue with our 12 o'clock talk back at 519 570 45 star 570 1-800-570-5715 jim good afternoon hi i'm just wondering as an avid kitchener ranger fan like you are and also toronto maple leaf fan like you are is there anything in the air about kitchener getting any support for defense uh i guess i would say 
yes, there's lots in the air right now. The trade deadline is tomorrow, uh, and I I would be surprised if the Kitchener Rangers were not trying to acquire uh, some more support for their blue line. Right. That's what I'm... They are so strong with forwards, and they've we, we, we had to get rid of, of course, a couple of players because of age and so overage players. But um, we we really need to build up our defense, and I think we can go for it if we can get a, one or two really good defensemen. Not that the defense isn't good. I mean, we've got the, the, the leading scorer in the OHL in the, in, in, as one of our defensemen, which is, says something in itself. But we just need a little more strength there to make it a little steady. And... Um, I've been a fan since 1963 when I went to the very first game of the Rangers. That a boy. And I've had season tickets for years and years and years. And this this team this year has a lot going for it. I mean, there's there's nobody like Raykop. I mean, my goodness, I think he's easily going to get 50 goals as long as his health comes back. Is he coming back on Friday? Do you know? I don't know for certain, but I suspect yes. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Well, I listen to you all the time. A friend of mine, Raymond, and I um, uh, always go to the games, and on the way home we listen to you. We don't call you very often because there's a group of people who seem to be enjoying calling you. But I thought I would call you today when this program is on. I'm on my way. I'm, I'm uh, teaching a course at school, and so um, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I have to leave in a minute or two. But I wanted to call you and just see if there was anything in the, you know, going on with a trade for for defense. But it'd be nice to see us getting some good defensemen on to add to our, our roster. I promise you, Jim, the moment there is something to share, we will share it here on the radio station. I promise. Great, because you're my favorite radio station and you're my favorite person on the radio station. Well, now stop it. You're calling just to compliment <laughs> me today. <laughs> yes, yes, because I've often thought of it and I've said to Raymond, you know, I, I should really call him and just say how much we enjoy the after the, the game show, you know, like it's just because people call in, give opinions and everything. And, and, uh, and you're, you've always got an answer for somebody who's negative. You've always got a great answer. And of course, having been a, a Ranger fan for like, you know, what, 70 years now or whatever it is. Um, not quite that long, 60 plus years. Um, anyhow, uh, I was a KW Beavers fan before that. Nice. I don't know if you even ever heard of the KW Beavers. Certainly have. Okay. And then before that, the Dutchman. Yep. Yeah. Now, I was very young then, but uh, I was only a child. But I still was a hockey fan. Anyhow, I want you to know that you've got a great program. I really appreciate it. We listen to it all the time, even though we don't call in. But every game after the game, we listen to to your show. And uh, thank you for doing this for us as, as Ranger fans. We really appreciate it. I love every minute of it, Jim, and I really appreciate this call. And, and maybe maybe one of these days you and or Raymond will give us a call on the post-game show. Well, we'll think about it. Okay, you keep thinking about it. That's all I'll ask. Okay. Thank you, all sir. Right. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. Nice to hear from you today. You know what that makes me think of? Because I've heard, look, there is no market cornered on good ideas, right? I've said this before. And I've heard on Rob Snow's show that he encourages first-time 
callers. I think we just had one of those right here. I think as we evolve in this 12 o'clock talk back hour, we should start doing the same thing. I need some kind of incentive, right, for first-time callers. So anyway, I mean, I can't give you anything other than my gratitude, but I think we should start to try to, much like we just had with Jim, solicit more of those first-time callers. Your voice is always welcome on this program, and we make sure we clear the space every day from noon until 1 during the 12 o'clock talkback hour so you can have your voice heard. Rob Snow has a talkback hour as well from 2 until 3, so you'll enjoy that with Rob this afternoon and all of the other things he's got planned for you following our 1 o'clock news update. As I look ahead at our show tomorrow, you may have heard the story from down east late last week when finally, after decades, a couple of men who had been wrongfully convicted and then served time for a murder they did not commit. They got some help from Innocence Canada. Their names have now been cleared. We'll talk to Innocence Canada about that story. Also, have you heard of the Men's Shed Movement? Oh, you haven't? Well, we're going to tell you all about it and what it is intended to do. Also, more on that decision by Kitchener Council to opt for an appointment to council instead of instead of filling a vacancy by a by-election. I, I have some pretty strong feelings about this, and I think one of the things we have to think about is our own participation in elections and how that's impacting us negatively. So we'll talk about that on the show tomorrow. And did you know that welfare rates today in Ontario are lower than they even were when Mike Harris made cuts all those decades ago? Now they're still even lower Today, we'll talk about all of that and more on the program tomorrow. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.